I'm Eugene Kim, and I welcome you to the Four Prompts on Death podcast, where we talk about death through the four prompts of I am, before I die, I want, when I die, I want, and after I die, I want. This week, we sit down with Alana Karma for the third time, twice again. Alana is a 24-year-old survivor, growing human, and not a phoenix. This marks the third time Alana has joined us on the podcast, effectively ending the trilogy which began in 2017. Between that first interview and the second, she suffered a severe car accident which left her with brain damage and difficulty adjusting to her new life, as evidenced in that 2018 interview. Now, almost three years after the initial interview and two years after the accident, we discuss life on the other side, forgiveness for someone that hurt you, how the coronavirus pandemic felt like everyone joining Alana in the, quote, weird, and how she identifies with a caterpillar more than a phoenix these days. So, uh, okay, let's go into the show notes. Alana is nothing at all, nothing, nothing at all, and not the phoenix. Before Alana dies, she wants us to deal with this tragedy referring to the coronavirus pandemic with grace and to become herself. When Alana dies, she wants to see all these complications resolve somehow, and to see everything on the uprise. After Alana dies, she wants to be remembered in the ways that people interact with the world. And in conclusion, Alana says, The first thing that I'm going to say is drop your labels. Stop identifying with who you think you are and ask yourself who you are on the inside. Live by being the best version of who you are, not better. I don't like that word anymore. Drop the labels. Be the best you can and live by the four agreements. Oh, and for reference, the four agreements are, oh, I used to know this off the top of my head, let me pull it up. Four agreements are, be impeccable with your word, don't take anything personally, don't make assumptions, and always do your best. I mean, that's by Don Miguel Ruiz. It's a series of books, and, and it's a really great philosophy on life. So um, it has been a while since I released a new episode, um, or at least a formal interview. I did like that little solo cast a while ago. Um, Sorry, I fell out of love with the podcasting idea for a little while. I was listening to a lot of Ram Dass, um, which we, who we referenced actually in this interview uh, in his Be Here Now book. Um, and I just had no interest in listening to anything but Ram Dass talk. It was, and it was great. Uh, I went through like a two months binge of, of a lot of his talks. And um, during that time, I just didn't have any desire to, to, to work on the podcast. And I apologize, audience. Um, but I think it was really important for me to kind of step away for a little while and come back. Um, I know that I, I have a planned, you know, break over the winter, but we'll see if I even do that. Maybe I'll continue plowing through instead of taking a break. And that's all to say, I spoke with uh, one of the previous interviewees, Eric Garza, and he, uh, we, we, it was a great conversation just to check in with each other because I was, you know, coming off Facebook and he was like, hey, I'd love to chat. And um, it ended up being a really productive conversation, I think, for both of us. And uh, the long and short of it is, is that I'm going to be reaching out to some folks to do some interviews because I haven't done an interview basically since um, for the past five months now. Um, so I think I, I, it's about time to start interviewing again. Um, just reinvigorating my love for this podcast because I do love this project. It's just uh, life has been wacky. Life has been very, very wacky for all of us, as evidenced by um, you know some of the stuff that we talk about in this interview with Alana. And like I said, I, I consider this sort of like a trilogy. Like the first interview in 2017 was her before any, all of this. You know, sort of like it, she's still in the village, and then um, 
the second interview we did was after the car accident and after she had, you know, been discharged from rehab and was kind of like struggling and doing her thing and trying to rebuild herself uh, for about six months, eight months. Um, and she was still very, she was very much in a low of uh, where she was. She was still very angry, very, you know, still cognitively having a lot of difficulties, even participating in the conversation. And um, it was, it was a good conversation just to document that like, drastic change between the first two and then this third one she you know she's she's she sounds better you know like we go over the the experience of her you know better you know relatively you know that's one that's one way to describe it but you know like we, we talk about how we don't use like the word better is is a tough word it's different grown she's grown a lot um since that second interview and we talk about the process of her coming to acceptance for the um elderly fellow that caused her car accident um, we talk about um, her spiritual practices now, um, and the interview starts off a little slow until we kind of both come to this realization that, like, because we interviewed, uh, we did this interview back in early or mid-March, um, back when coronavirus sort of start, just was starting off um, in the States uh, with, in terms of restrictions, and how for Alana... Um, it was just this interesting experience of like her life has been the coronavirus ever since the um, car accident. You know, she's been, her life has been severely disrupted ever since then. And she's still trying to get to an understanding of what her life is going to be like now going forward. And for her, um, it's been an, it was an interesting experience of just realizing that for like the coronavirus for everybody else is kind of joining, getting everybody on the same page of like, life is not this like, you know, day in, day out thing, like your life can change dramatically all of a sudden, and it can be really challenging um, to go through that, especially as a young person, um, but also especially as a young person on your own without, you know, everyone else going through the same thing. Um, and this is, I just really had a great time listening to this interview. We had, there, there's some audio issues, like there's like a weird, like, a kind of uh, echo after Alana talks every time she speaks. Um, it's not terribly distracting. She speaks a little softly at times, so it can be a little tough to hear. I, I listened to the interviews at like uh, one and a half or two times speed, so it was really hard. So I had to slow it down, which is actually a nice, a nice experience because um, you know she's she's cognitively different than she was in that first interview and that second interview, um, and she takes her time. You know, she, I, there's a lot of silence in this interview that I really enjoyed, uh, just to hear and just to sit with her, and um, especially as she goes, you know, works through some of the more intense um, and challenging memories of the of recent times. I think you're gonna like this interview. Um, I think you will. You know, I'm gonna I'm gonna put the first two interviews after this, so you'll so. At about like the two hour mark ish will be uh, of this whole big chunky file at the two hour mark of that this file will be uh, the second interview and at about the four hour mark will be the first interview it's kind of going in reverse chronological order like memento style um, I couldn't figure out a I could, you know I have trouble thinking about a way to like arrange it for you the listener to kind of get the best experience but also I think it's interesting to kind of go back in time as well um, so you listen to her now, listen to her in the, that low, and then you listen to her like kind of before any of this. Um, really interesting ways to sort of like participate in these snapshots of people. Um, and I'm anticipating, you know, I, I've been releasing uh, kind of like filler interviews uh, every other week, and I think I'm going to stop that. I'm just going to, you know, I will just, I will not put myself underneath like these strict restrictions to release 
interviews whenever, you know, at a certain time. I'm just going to go work through them when I work through them. Um, I'm, I'm aiming for once a month. I'll just put something out on the, on the stream for you, the listeners, um, and I'll see how that goes. I think it'll be a little bit easier for me just from a mental uh, space standpoint just to kind of um, be easier on myself take the longer road and uh, in terms of vision of like, just if I can get an interview out once a month or something out once a month, I, that is a great success. Um, especially since this is a project I would like to do for decades. Um, and I feel like I'm only able to start really getting the reap the rewards of, of the first interviews that I've done by being able to check in with people longer term, you know, especially with this interview with Alana, um, you know, if I had interviewed her only at one of those points, I think it really would not have uh, captured the the arc of this story for her. Um, and that's not to say her story is done. It is not done by any means. Um, but I think you can hear in her in, in her responses and the way she talks about how she's in such a different place. Like, you know, during that second interview, she was like, I will be better when I can do these like physical acts, like these skills so in terms of like back bands or hooping or, or, you know, such like that. And, you know, in this interview, uh, she's like, yeah, that was pretty dumb of me. I, I, <laughs> that was, was pretty short sighted um, and narrow vision in terms of like who is a human and what what is a person's values worth. And I think that shows a lot of growth, especially at the age of 24, 25. Um, so I hope that you don't mind me rambling. I hope you don't mind my uh, absence from the uh, you know podcast stream. But I hope that you will enjoy this wonderful conversation with Alana Karma on death on death twice again. It is March 18th, 2020. I'm sitting here in my Orfield, Pennsylvania home, and Alana Karma is sitting in her, where is it again? Pinellas Park. Pinellas Park, uh, Florida home, and we're going to be talking about death for the third time now. Uh, we're going to be using the four prompts. Alana, what are the four prompts? The four prompts are, if my memory serves me correctly, I am... Before I die, when I die, and after I die, I want. Excellent. And so how do you finish that first prompt of I am? I am. Honestly, this kind of cat. <laughs> There's a cat. <laughs> oh, it's a cute chubby cat. <sighs> Okay. <clears throat> Honestly, the I am prompt is slightly contradictory to me because to say I am usually referencing something about yourself that is a label. During that process of my accident, I learned the tough way that when you have nothing, nothing at all, it's not what you are, it's who you are, as in who you are on the inside that matters. So I'm sure many people have responded to this interview with a label about themselves, to identify with themselves, to identify themselves with. And after the accident, I stopped using labels because I had no labels. I had no labels, so I didn't use them to myself. So I guess saying I'm a, um, an improving person is probably the best answer. 
and you know, kind of dig, circling back to that idea of like the lack of labels. Um, like for when I hear you say that, what I'm what I'm interpreting that as is sort of like you know the idea of you as an artist, but you you have trouble using your art hand. You know, you you don't you, have, you initially had very little use of your left side, and your art hand was preserved. Um, but you're still still difficult for you to make art, or maybe you're like you're you would previously thought of yourself as an aerialist and you had such difficulty doing backbends and and uh getting up up on the you know up in the silks or maybe it's like uh the flow arts are much harder for you um is it that some so many of those identifying labels were taken away from you because you couldn't do them anymore or is it a different kind of idea i would say that i agree in the aspect that I lost my labels because I did not have the, the skill or capacity to complete those actual labels. Mm -hmm. mm. Sort of like, are you, are you a writer if you don't write regularly sort of thing, right? Right. Um, and, and I also think that it's, it's weird. It's so weird that you're 24 years old and you've had this experience of being brought down to like no labels. You know, that is something that doesn't happen to people usually until, you know, it, it you're, for you to have this have, have happened to you in your age group is, puts you in this weird, like, alien status amongst you know, other 25-year-olds. Like, like most, like, I, I'm thinking about myself at 24, and, like, I could not, I was so, I was like, you know, I just was not in a frame of reference or mind at all to understand, like, how much of who I thought I was was very temporary and very silly at the same time. And um, something we had talked about before the interview started was the idea of just like how you going back down to Florida is was not quite all you had built it up to be since you moved up north. And um, like, what about what about like? I guess I now like I just want to take it in this little direction for a sec uh, for like a moment of what what is it like to be a person who has experienced no labels and to kind of understand that you're improving but be around all these people that have not even had the had even the first taste of that yet serious disconnect for sure i feel as though these other people don't really understand the full extent of like the quality of life and the intensity of it and mm how extreme it can be and as we previously as we as previously discussed how fleeting it is mm -hmm. is that tough and like just just like is do you find it's difficult to make friends to rekindle friendships that you had before you moved away like what what are some of the ways that you you notice that that lack of appreciation in people um like um where, where do you notice the disconnect where people don't appreciate how intense and uh the the, the just how, how quickly things can change um is it just like when your friends are talking about or when you're out with people and you notice like they're 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 really just focused on this really negative thing that's a very small inconsequential like thing in the, uh you know experience in the grand scheme of things or um, like what, in what ways do you notice that in people?
it's tough. Just, yeah, I mean, yeah, but it's just crazy, I think, because everything is in such upheaval and turmoil right now. Mm-hmm. So nothing, literally, like, I don't know how people don't know that things are so unstable. Mm. Oh, oh, here's an, okay, here's the thing. So is it, do you, do you almost feel like these wacky events around the, the coronavirus are bringing everybody sort of up to your speed of just like, yeah, man, don't you get it? Like, it's all very different. Like, this is where, this is where I've been for the past two years. Welcome to the ride. Yeah, pretty much. I'm like, all right, well, welcome to your life being turned around and upside down. Oh, that's so interesting. Okay. I know, right? It's like a metamorphosis for not only the planet, but it's kind of, you know, like what I've done. Mm-hmm. So it's nothing real new for me. It's just a, on a more global scale. You're like, oh, I guess this is how things are going to be weird for the next couple of weeks. <laughs> it's oh like, okay, that's fine. Okay, that's so fascinating. Okay, yeah. I, I, okay. Um, I actually, um, I read this article recently that someone shared with me, and it was talking about how the coronavirus is somewhat healing medicine as it's not so much disease but it's healing medicine and I asked myself how can it be healing medicine um you know is there a part of the virus that's beneficial genetically or you know what can we construct out of this Mm -hmm. now I started reading it it was basically talking about how the earth needs to be rid of her own coronavirus in a way because humanity is just eating the Mother Earth alive, sucking up all her resources. And so the coronavirus is taking us out for whatever reason. And so the coronavirus to us is what humans are to the Earth. And it's like this weird reset. Like we, we've we've been business as usual. Uh, work starts on Monday for like probably ten years. Like the last big interruption was maybe nine eleven in two thousand one. You know, like that was the last big one. And so for for this to because in like nine eleven was like for a couple like it was pretty significant for a couple of days, couple you know, especially for the New York area. But this is like across the country. This is. you know it's so it's so different and it's for everyone to be like okay well let's rethink things and um uh you know from my perspective in terms of like medicine um like getting televisits so using like video chat to do like initial screening so you don't need to go physically to an office maybe you get sick get exposed or get other people it's like fascinating because these are things that we've been trying to do but because it's like oh it's just business as usual it's been very slow and incremental but this is a a moment that causes like a quantum leap just like we have to figure this out and like yeah it's like you must change or die kind of a thing yeah, it's like, oh, I have diabetes. <laughs> like, okay, I need to change. It's like, this is that moment of like, oh, we all have diabetes. Let's let's stop eating all these sugar. <laughs> let's like really yeah. be careful. Yeah, for real. It's- okay, um, and so that that that's so interesting. That okay, but so I guess it'll also be yeah, interesting. I have had that realization while we were talking about this. Mm-hmm. You're like, oh my gosh, wow. 
Yeah, I get it. And like everyone's joining your level. We're all on, we're all getting onto your level, which is, I think, fascinating. And I'd be really interested to see in like a couple of months when this all kind of dies down, hopefully, that you will be like, yeah, this was great for everybody because now they could kind of more relate to you. I don't know. I, I'm, you know, looking ahead, but uh, yeah. for right now, how about this? Um, what about, I, I know when I interviewed you uh, two years ago for the second interview that you were talking about getting back into some of the um, the routines and rituals. Like you had, a, I think you spoke specifically about a new moon ritual you did with your mother. Um, have you continued to do some of those spiritual practices? What, where are you right now with your spirituality and, and your relationship with it? It's a very interesting question. Take me a moment to gather my thoughts. I guess at the beginning, way back when I did that new moon ritual, it was a good reconnection with it, but I didn't keep up with it in the way that I thought I would. However, after all this time, I developed rituals for myself and in my, my recovery process that I've been doing pretty much every day. And the other day, I feel like I really Notice that I absolutely need to reopen my spiritual pocket of the world. Because when I was that? When when was that realization? Was it like last week? Well, it was on Sunday, and then again yesterday. Oh wow! Okay. Yeah. Well, like let, let's let's go to the things that you've been doing, like on a daily basis for your recovery. Like, what did that? What does that look like? Okay. Okay, I gotta reorient my thoughts. Mm -hmm. Okay, I could just rant about this forever, so let me just short short rant. Okay. Okay, I really am doing so much more for myself than anybody realizes. Previously, at the very beginning, I would stretch and dance every single day, every single day. I really, it was like the first thing I did before I had to do anything. Is this, it, was this like before the accident or like in the yeah. recovery of the accident? After the recovery of the accident. Okay, okay. <clears throat> Probably the last time we did this interview, I actually was doing that. I think so. Okay. Anyway, so yeah, I did that every single day. And then eventually, I decided that I need to do some more things and I guess be more creative in my options. So I started doing more things and then I started adding flow props. And then the flow props, they break down into how many flow props I have. So I would break it down. So like rotation between contact staff, coops. And I would just cycle through them. Like a weird call. <laughs> it was like in the way. Like. Yeah, so I would just cycle through them. Mm -hmm. And then... Um, Relax, dancing, stretching. There was another thing that I did that like broke down to a lot of things. <clears throat> Whatever. Anyhow, so I started doing basically everything that I could. Oh, juggling, that's what it was. I started juggling. Oh, nice. Yeah, I mean, I know it's good for your brain, so I just figured it'd be a good thing to do. Mm -hmm. And so would this be like first thing in the morning? You'd do all these physical yeah. things to sort of stimulate everything? How long would it last? Like 10 minutes, an hour? So the dancing, stretching thing took a while because of the stretching, like I have this very specific routine. 
Mm-hmm. So like count in seconds, we would be counting like one would be zero, inhale, one, exhale. And that whole thing would be one second. Mm-hmm. You, so did like, did you develop the stretching routine or was this given to you by like a physical therapist or did yeah, you take it and add, add it? To it? Because I decided that I need to be flexible again. Okay. As we talked about last time, so I made up this routine. Mm-hmm. I counted my seconds that way because I don't know. I don't know why I did that. <laughs> anyway, so it's slowly developed over time and it would, I would do one thing every day, every morning. And then got, it's gotten to the point where I've done things a few times a week. That was like once a week, and then it's now it's a few times a week. Sometimes it's multiple times a day, multiple things in one day, maybe only like two days a week. Mm-hmm. But it's going well. The way that I, you know, I, I measure myself is I count the number of the days of the week, and then like the daytime week, you know, and how many that adds up to hypothetically or comparatively. Previously, that would have given me. Necess- necessity of 10 things a day is just not to every 10 weekdays in a month but so I would count those up and I'd add those as like a reference so that if I were to do one every single day if the number would be the same or not and honestly that works better for me because I'm much more able to listen to my body tell me what it wants to do and when I'm going, when I'm, when I'm in the flow of something, it's easier for me to just continue doing another round and another additional thing. <clears throat> anyway, so that's my routines. Mm-hmm. And then, what? Tell me about this this realization a couple days ago about needing to reopen the spiritual box. What um, was that? Yeah, go in. Let's go in there. Well, I guess it wasn't specifically three days ago. It was probably last week, and then it was corroborated to me, like in force on Sunday. Anyhow, so, you know, I was doing my tattoo apprenticeship before with Visionary Inc. So I worked for that company, company mm-hmm. that tattoo shop, Visionary Inc. And then I'm back, and I want to continue, want to continue my apprenticeship again. So I was, I came across this tattoo shop called Conscious Ink. Sound familiar much? Mm-hmm. So I thought that was pretty aligned. So I went on the website and then I did some research and I found out about the owner and all his practices and why he calls it Conscious Ink because he gotten to a practice of essentially consulting his spirituality every day. And he's encouraged him to live with this awareness and motivation. So initially, I was obviously entranced by this concept because, I mean, you know me when I was in my spiritual, complicated, layered, multifaceted, many layers phase. So I was thinking that I really need to reconnect with that. I miss that. I miss me. I miss me. Hmm. Anyhow, so then when I went to see them in the shop, I went to go to a shop, tattoo, Facebook's really just meeting, conversation, hanging out, introductory situation. 
<sighs> and then he said, I also want to leave because it was time to go. And he said they were going to go be in nature for a little bit. And I guess that really just, yesterday I really just, all the things that happened on Sunday just kind of really resonated with me. So on Monday, yesterday, I felt this incredible, insatiable desire to just be in nature. But, you know, I'm in Canales Park and not that there's no nature here. I'm just, my backyard is built in. It's just awesome. <laughs> So, I mean, I can go be in nature, but I can be in the backyard, dusty sand of Pinellas zone. Anyhow, so I went and I went out into the front yard and I did some meditation on the grass. And then I just want to be outside to do something outside. Mm -hmm. of nature, so I did as best as I could. <clears throat> so I really, these kinds of things have re, Resparked my desire to be in, connect in connection with the universe and Gaia, or just be connected in general, whether it's physical or outside. I feel like there is a, a connection between physical and the way that it transcends into ener energetically. So, by connecting with something physically, you're connecting with it energetically. So, by Beginning with the first initiation of physical connection, you're initiating the opening up for a spiritual, spiritual, spiritual connection. <clears throat> so I think that my awareness being brought back to this idea that I need to connect with Mother Nature in more than, you know, I meditated and went and sat outside. It seems so simple. It's just, okay, so sat outside and meditated, sat outside in nature and listened. Mm -hmm. I think everybody should be doing that more because it's really, it's, it's, it's very healing, really gained a significant insight, you know, because when you're meditating, you're supposed to be clearing your mind and just being, it's honestly, it's infinitely more tangible when you're outside because your mind automatically just goes with the birds chirping. Like the sounds of the breeze, the sound of nature is just taking you away. You're able to like, just like breathe out yourself, like breathe out everything you are and breathe in everything you're hearing, rather than sitting alone in your like inside trying to focus on being nothing. It's all these other thoughts just keep coming into your mind. And like, you just automatically acknowledge them because that's what you do when you're thinking. However, I'm hoping that with the development of a meditation practice, in addition to just you know being outside, which is kind of in combination with the meditation practice, I'm hoping that if I'm meditating and I'm practicing meditation from being outside, it will really crispen my ability to clear myself. Mm -hmm. connect with mother nature mm -hmm. okay what was the question no that was that, you answered it you know because okay. i think something that that you're taught that you're hitting on that i think is really um that i'm finding more and more is it's like 
the like the big rituals, the big things are great, but it's the daily, it's like the small things. It doesn't need to be this big uh, production necessarily. It can be, that's fine. But just sitting outside and, and connecting in with yourself on a daily basis is just, that's that alone is a spiritual practice. And I think that's uh, a wonderful foundation to something who know like who knows how it's going to change going forward. For sure. And then a few weeks ago, I actually began the practice of yoga more solidly, more solidly mm-hmm. than I have previously ever. Because, you know, everybody, not everybody, many people in the performing industry practice yoga, and that's how they're super, super bendy. Because you see these bendy, bendy, super mega bendy people, and they're like, oh, I did yoga. It's like, all right. So I've never just done yoga because I feel like I'm going to be super bendy and silly. Mm-hmm. I stretch in a way that could be yoga. But yoga isn't really just about the physical practice. It's really mm-hmm. about the mental, emotional approach to yourself and who you are, the body, mm-hmm. your being entity on this planet. And it's really a lot different because stretching is more push yourself, do this, it hurts, just keep going, deal with the pain, (laughs) you know, you're like, do better, be flexier, gotta do this sacrifice, yoga is more, take care of yourself today, go as far as you want, if it's too far, stop, don't worry about it, and feel your muscles, check in with yourself, how are you feeling on this level, take a breath of love into yourself, and let the breath out. So it's breathing love in of yourself, let it out. But it's also asking your body how it feels and more mentally, with more consciousness, asking yourself how you are in that part of your area, depending on how your muscles feel. So you're cons- consulting your muscles to find out how your body is feeling. Mm-hmm. It is different. Mm. And um, something I want to touch on uh, before we kind of move on in the interview is yeah so you, it sounds like you have got a lot of practices in terms of like your physical you know you're practicing these arts again um, and I remember when we spoke most recently it was th- there were like a couple poses or tricks that you wanted to be able to do that you fit would feel like okay I'm, I'm like mostly I'm like returning to myself and I think some one of them was like a back bend another one was like this spinning thing you did with a uh, you, you were like backbending into a spin, you know, so like, there, do you remember any of those tricks specifically? Yeah, Have you achieved any of those? Okay, well, first I want to say that those statements were petty. <laughs> <laughs> I just don't feel like I can hold someone not accountable for something because of my capacity to do something after. That's just unfair. Mm-hmm. so remind me to go back to that part I just want to say also that I maybe you'll ask this after so maybe I'll just I will not say it maybe you'll ask maybe you won't and then I'll say it <laughs> so initially I want to say yeah I said this whatever hmm which leads me into the thought of 
measuring yourself by your skills is, as I just said, it's petty. Mm -hmm. But it's like, and earlier I said the labels, you just don't have labels, you just got you, and that's that's that. Mm -hmm. Who you are. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so I had no skills, no capacity or anything, no labels, just my insides. And that process really helped me connect more with myself and become a better person. Dismiss labels. I was measuring myself by skills. <clears throat> and ultimately, skills don't make a measure of a person. <laughs> they enhance a person, but they don't make you worthwhile because you can do this thing. So I made peace with that. <clears throat> and... Yeah, just basically you can't measure yourself by your skills. It's unfair to yourself and you know, every, everyone else. Mm -hmm. I don't accept that. <clears throat> but it's hey, right. yeah. hmm? yeah, you first. Oh, it's, uh, it's not fair to measure somebody by their skills, but it's so easy, right? It's so easy. It's like, oh, can you do a backbend? Well, I can. So, what does that say? You know, it's like one of those. You know, it's, it's exactly how I was before too. I was, I was one of those people. You know, in the full community, we're all, oh yeah, it's okay. We accept you wherever you're at, etc. And I never really, I was always the person that was measuring everyone by their skills because I measured myself by my skills. But after this whole accident and I'm coming back into the flow arts and knowing that I've been spending like five years but I can't do shit, it's like I am just on my own thought. Nobody's judging me. I mean, unless you're me. Nobody's <laughs> 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 judging you. <clears throat> so you just got to grow your own pace and you get there. <laughs> yeah, if you're not me. <laughs> yeah, so I've just come to accept that everyone is where they're at and you can't speed up the process or nobody is, you can't measure somebody by something because if somebody was measuring me now, you would never measure that I've been spinning for half a decade, mm -hmm. you know? <clears throat> so I just, yeah, I just, <clears throat> I've let go of those conditions. Which could be hard. Well, how, I guess, um, I mean, it sounds like this has been a gradual process, but like just kind of letting go of that. Are there any stories or anything that comes to mind about the pro like when you really started to realize that you were measuring yourself by these things and your worth as a person by these skills or um, and then letting it go of that? Or has it just been a very gradual like kind of coming online again? Well, I guess what I was going to say, I wasn't sure what I'd say because I was hoping to ask that question. Essentially, I, surprisingly, to my surprise and to y'all's surprise, I actually did forgive the driver mm. nearly I don't think it was like a few months after him. I think it was actually within the next month I did the forgiving. Yeah. What was that process like? When I moved back up to North Carolina. Mm -hmm. My best friend asked him if he wanted to do something, and he said he's going to go to his meditation instead. Mm -hmm. So I didn't, I mean, I didn't have anything to do, so I was like, all right, can I come? 
<laughs> so I went to this meditation. It was called Sahaja Yoga. Mm-hmm. I don't remember all the specifics or all the questions you have to ask yourself, but it was a process, mm. you know? Mm-hmm. You're, again, checking in with different parts of your body and asking, like, telling yourself, basically doing self-affirmations. <clears throat> and one of the self-affirmations was... I am my own master. <clears throat> I was attempting to do that self-affirmation to myself, but I just kept thinking, how am I my, how am I my own master? And I didn't choose for this to happen. That was really hard. Mm. And then I realized that just because it happened, I can choose my reaction to what to happening. Mm-hmm. So just just because it happened doesn't mean I have to take it as negatively as it seems. Mm-hmm. You know, it's my response that determines how much it's impacting my reality. <clears throat> so that gave me strength in the sense that I am for myself because then I stopped feeling like a victim. Mm-hmm. It enabled me to feel like. Someone who's experienced this thing. Now I'm strong. I have a question for you. Did you have any like did you did you feel that in your body when you were doing that meditation? Was there like a release? Did you uh like what was that like did you was there a weight in your chest that was gone? Or like what did you how did you feel it? I guess that comes with the next part of that meditation. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so there was the um, the self affirmation of you are you know you are your own master. You are I was I am my own master. I am my own guru. The next one <clears throat> was um, you're like cupping your forehead or the back of your neck. I think it was the back of your neck. Mm-hmm. It was the chakras, but different. They were just areas of focus that also had similar meanings, meanings mm-hmm. more of the intentions I mean than like, this, is my, this is my root, this is my heart, you know what I'm saying? So this one was um, forgiveness. Mm-hmm. So you're after having to figure forgive yourself and then forgive anyone who's like wronged you in any way. Yeah. And obviously the big the big thing that came to my mind was forgiving the guy that I just fucking killed me. And I'm, I just had this, this insight that it really was just an accident. It wasn't out driving, like, oh yeah, I'm gonna almost kill this person today. It was just driving, doing this thing. I was just driving, doing my thing. And this happened to almost kill me. So it really was an accident. And I see that now. I understand that. And then I felt this overpowering wave of release as far as I had all this negative energy up in my body. I was so, felt so angry and it just, it's not fair to either of us being that angry about an actual accident. It's just an accident. So I was hyperventilating and totally crying one of the ladies that was leaving, leaving it came up to me and asked me why I was crying. <clears throat> and I explained to her because I could have died and I'm still here. 
And she's like, well, that's not a reason to cry. That's a reason to be happy. So stop crying. Yeah, I was still crying because I mean, I just was letting all of this go. Coming out of my emotions and my and sadness. And, but it's good because I had to get that out so that I could, is that what she said, be happy. So I got rid of the conditions. I forgive him. I forgave him. Let go of all my negativity. It was a release of this away. Refreshing purification. Mm. Definitely felt purified after. Mm. It was beautiful. It was a wonderful experience. I'm really glad that he was going to that and his dad could take me with him. Like, I might just be remembering something that I imagined that I wanted to do or didn't actually do or that I did do and I can't quite exactly for sure remember. But I think that I wrote down the experience in my journal. Mm-hmm. I'd like to do that. <clears throat> I don't know if I should continue into this other routine. Okay, I would like to continue into this. I think it's important. So along with the revitalization of my spirituality, it was kind of introduced by my insight to do more yoga, my inclination to do more yoga. And additionally, when I, when I rise in the morning, if I have a dream, I write it down in my dream journal. Mm-hmm. And then I proceed with my day. Or because I already have like a dream journal that I pulled up, I read a dream from my dream journal. So I write down a dream, then I read a dream. If I have time, I do both. And then I started, <clears throat> last May, I got a new deck, an Oracle deck. I started sleeping with it under my pillow so that it gets my, my nighttime energies. When, my sleeping, when I'm sleeping, it charges the deck. Mm-hmm. So I'm known for one time. After I write down my dreams, or do whatever with my dreams, I will pull a card to get my message for the day. Previously, I would just have to like, make a thing of it, sit down and understand that I had to write down what I, what I pulled and everything about it in the journal. I actually have a section of one of my journals for just oracle readings. And those were for the bigger consultation sessions. <clears throat> However, now that I've adopted this daily card draw, I write down that card by itself or after the journal came out in the, in the journal after the journal entry in the dream journal. Hmm, but it's really nice to have that message for the day from you know, the universe to guide me. I appreciate that. Hmm. One I got, I don't know if this was a good question whether or not I should say something or not. Okay, so I drew a card last week and it, I felt compelled to look at this other card that was mentioned. But I felt to need to consult this other card in the deck. So I read that one as well. 
and it was um, the Time Guardian, and the Oracle deck is the Oracle of the Dragon Fae. So it's this mystical Dragon Fae in control of time. And he was telling me that time is there's a multi-dimensional external faceted being that is not 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 um metaphorical. It's not meta time isn't a metaphor or an inabstract thing, or an abstract, intangible thing. It's actually a being that allows you to perceive time as being faster or slower, depends on how you think about it. <clears throat> So basically, we are time travelers that can manipulate the, the way we proceed through time, forward or backwards, <clears throat> and how we must be present because the past, present, and future all exist in now, and it's only our acknowledgement of the other time frames of that they exist at all, which I think is pretty perfect because <clears throat> I have this, um, the time is always now type here. Because I perceived that back in 2014, way back before I this, but it just corroborated my concept of now. <clears throat> so it's the year now, which is also a book by Ram Bass. <laughs> Similarly, it talks about the perception of death and the procedure, and also an altered state of mind in thinking about that. Okay, again, I forgot the initiation of that whole little rant. It's no, that was no, the that was just a perfect. It was a perfect rant. It was very perfect. perfect. And I think with that, um, it's a good segue to the next prompt. Unless you want to add something else to I am. Yes. Um, okay, I am not the phoenix. And you know, I mean, I am the phoenix for sure. I just feel as though last week I felt as though the energy of the phoenix as a spirit guide, spirit animal, was like leaving me. Not that, and not, not in a way where I feel as though it was abandoning me. In a way that I felt that it served my, it served its purpose, and it was mm. moving forward. I feel as though all of the fire energy enabled me to survive this incident. And now I have a new spirit animal entering. <clears throat> yeah, you're in a different phase. Like if you're if you're always the phoenix, you're always burning. That's not yeah. that's not great. Like you went through a big burn. Let's 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 keep it for a little while, right? Yeah. Oh, that's fun. Yeah. So I wasn't sure. I felt as though I couldn't put my finger on what my new animal energy was or is. I think after reading that article, I have got my answer because I've contemplated certain animals, particular species, and I just don't feel as though they're presenting themselves to me in a way that is near connecting. But that article that I read was talking about the metamorphosis of civilization. And using um, a metaphor to um, a caterpillar and a chrysalis emerging as a butterfly. I think that is my new spirit energy. I think it also makes sense because I'm phoenix on the rise, but I'm also rising in a beautiful way, ready to move past my angry, emotional, 
drastic experience as a phoenix, which I definitely aligned with for years before my accident. I see Facebook status memories still that come up and they say, back two years ago, or four, that's not be. I mean, last year was say back three years ago, which would be 2016. And I would reference the Phoenix in a, in a post the whole time, explaining how I feel connected to the Phoenix, et cetera, the Phoenix this, the Phoenix that, et cetera. So to present himself to me a long time ago, so it's taken years, but I feel as though she feels she's already so capable so she can move forward. I'm very enthusiastic to embrace the butterfly into my perception, my lens perception. Okay, we can move on to the next prompt now. All right, good. How do you finish the next prompt of Before I Die, I Want? Before I Die. Before I Die. <clears throat> well, I hope that I really, really feel that I, I want society to experience this whole coronavirus tragedy with grace as I feel that I've been you know, dealing with my challenges recently, but graceful. So I hope that humanity deals with this global challenge with grace and we're able to move forward away from this tragic dark time, mm-hmm. which began even before the coronavirus did. I mean, politically and just the way society is running, all of that contributes to my idea of the concept and definition of, quote, dark time, close quote. So I'm really hoping that we move forward with the grace and move into a new age and rise up. Rise up like fire and then become a butterfly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah weird times weird times we are in for sure um do you well, oh here let me let's let me pivot in this way so like i want to talk about relationships for you for a hot second if that's all right so because i know that, like when we did the first interview you had a partner who was very much in like the this the the um flow arts realm he was a very fire kind of guy right and then um after the accident i believe that you two separated and then when you went to north carolina you found a friend there who and then you had a really it sounds like a very nice thing you went to seattle for or like west coast for a little bit and then now you're here in florida right like there's there's like this there's i don't want to call it a progression but there's just like this very interesting like these different phases you were in right yeah Okay, so what are you asking me about? Basically? I guess what I'm asking is like, uh, so so it sounds like that that fellow moved to the west. That that fellow from North Carolina, he moved out to the West Coast. So like that's kind of not a thing, right? Um, but now you're here in Florida, and I'm wondering, do you do you even know what like a a partner would look like for you at this stage in your life? This this you know this transition from to the mm-hmm. butterfly to, through the chrysalis. I don't know who's next, (laughs) (laughs) but I did have this really interesting conversation with my friend back from 2015 Mm -hmm. recently where he's talking about his relationship 
for describing it and how most people don't understand it, but it seems completely normal to him. And he described it, and honestly, I feel like that's the kind of relationship that I need. It's just, um, you know, they're very, they're not suffocating each other in any way. They're both coexisting. And they know they're in a relationship. They're just like backing off the intensity of each other, of their, their involvement with each other. Mm-hmm. Trying to be more so, solo. I feel as though this would function well for me because I'm a very independent person and I'm very focused on my own development and progress in this in this lifetime. So I need someone that can respect that and understands where I'm coming from, hopefully is on the same mindset. It doesn't rely on me for everything that they need. Not only to just be, not that I'm in any way necessarily defined by same sex. I'm just saying I'm not going to limit limit it to that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like at this point, you're you're still rebuilding. You're still yeah. becoming this next thing, and and if somebody comes along and is too demanding and pulls too much away from you, it's just not right. You need somebody that comes in real slow and comes in like changes the gravity just a little bit, right? Like not over over time so it's just very yeah i think that's a that's a very interesting awareness that you have you're like i just need somebody who's like a pretty well-developed human already and then it's just a matter of like let's just slowly integrate into each other or the person that's um moving into themselves similarly mm. to how i am moving into myself mm-hmm. and respects the fact that i need to move into myself mm-hmm. somebody that I won't get lost in a relationship is too distracted to care about what i'm doing Mm-hmm. which I see mm-hmm. I find tends to be people's experiences with relationships which become so limited to what they're doing as a, as a, as a partnership that they lose focus on themselves as individual entities mm-hmm. so I feel as though I, I need to be aware of focusing on myself while simultaneously holding a relationship. And, you know, unless you meet somebody who's gone, you know, I I think it's just so tough. Again, that your age group is that the 20, like mid twenties to find a, a a fellow or a lady that is on like on your level of like, let's be, let's, you know, like, let's live this, that, you know, like that's, that's, I do not envy your challenge. It's because like, somebody who's like on that level is really hard. I feel like um, I feel like Alex kind of was. Mm-hmm. We had very thoughtful conversations that I was able to really transcend my understanding of reality into something more like grand, like something grander. Mm-hmm. Obviously, that's no longer a thing. I appreciate him for what he got from my life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, at the stages, it sounds like they were the right relation, you know, but it's yeah. now it's like this next one is going to be this whole different thing, right? It's, yeah, for sure. Absolutely. Interesting. Um, so I don't know. What, what else do you want before you die? I'd like to go into myself. Yeah. Do you know what that would look like? I guess, do you know? Do you have any idea what it'll be like to be that butterfly? To like what the ne- what the next ten years are going to bring for you? 
Can you even imagine the direction? I have a couple um, tentative imaginings. Yeah, I'm really involved in multiple things right now, and I don't know which one is going to take the dominant role in the next, mm. I'm going to say five years. Next five years to play out for the five years after that, so total of 10. Mm-hmm. So the next five years, I'm, I'm really involved in performance arts for sure. Hence, I'm trying to get my skills back. I would also like to note that I did indeed get my back then. Yeah! <laughs> yeah, but it wasn't conditional on needing to forgive him to do that. I forgave him before I did that. Mm-hmm. So that was great. So I got to um, accomplish my mission after letting go. Mm, it says something. I think that says something, right? Yeah. I think that says something about everything, honestly, because I feel as though, like, the Time Guardian, I feel like what that messenger brought to me is that I'm focusing so hard on being able to drive because that is moving really slow. <laughs> and if I can just let go of that feeling, it will just, it will come. Mm-hmm. So I'm just trying to, like, let go of that concept as best I can, which is why I was hesitant to say anything about it when it first, when it first became a, a an answer that I could have, would have said, <clears throat> which is why I was hesitant about it. Mm-hmm. I wasn't sure if it would corroborate the fact that I'm really desiring to speed up when I know it, when I know consciously now that I need to let go in order to achieve it. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Such an annoying thing that is, right? <laughs> You're like, I wish it wasn't that way, <laughs> but <laughs> this, if this has, you know, that's how it's got to be. It's, it's counting. Yeah, for sure. <clears throat> Oh, uh, the next six months or the next five years. What's uh, what are some of the, what are the some of the things you got going on that are? Oh, yeah, so I was saying as I was taking a segue to my back pain. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I'm really involved in the performing arts. Mm-hmm. However, with all of this um, coronavirus crash, I'm gonna call it the coronavirus crash. Mm-hmm. Basically, everybody's out of work, and unless it's a necessary job you're fulfilling, it's really devalued a lot. I feel as though performing arts are entertainment. Entertainment is very devalued right now because the focus is on medical stuff, such as yoga and nursing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, all of the stuff involved with doctoral involvement and the background is eating out restaurants so restaurants are leaving business like crazy performers are just like automatically they're out of business nobody's going to hire entertainment for an event that they can't even have mm-hmm. yeah so that's a severe influence on the next five years because it's going to take us a long time to recover from this nobody's really going to have excess money, surplus of money to spend on extra performance. Let's hope. Yeah, let's hope. Mm-hmm. Oh, let's hope they don't. <laughs> but let's hope that they do have mm-hmm. money that they want to spend on performance. In addition, I am about to graduate my master's degree in entrepreneurship. Yeah. 
That's exciting. I know before, like the very first interview, I had graduated my bachelor's a few months before. Mm-hmm. And then I was in this interim. I had, I had already applied to graduate school online. After my accident, when I got out of being it was like the first thing I did because I was not letting anything stop me on my mission. Mm-hmm. And then I started that first semester about a month later. So I've been working on my master's degree since then. Master's programs are approximately two years long. So this program is only five semesters. So I'm going to graduate in and what's the program in again? Entrepreneurship. Entrepreneurship. Okay. And um, yeah, how, how does it feel to wrap that up? Well, I would like to note that it is sounds like it feels like a great time for an entrepreneurship. Is what industry I want to get involved in. And it's rough because my entire concept, the whole five months was working, not five months, five semesters, two years, was creating an organization for a studio company for performing arts. Mm. And it's rough that I've spent like two years on this idea, you know, getting deep involved in the details, going hardcore and what's, what's what I can do with that, <clears throat> how I can do it. Because now I'm going to, I mean, all of the entertainment component of studios are temporarily closed and until future notice as of now. I saw one that is rather proactive and I got an email this morning from them saying they're going to have a meeting tonight to do an online something. And I don't, honestly, I struggle to conceptualize how they're going to post these classes online because not everybody has the equipment, honestly. Mm-hmm. I feel really, really blessed that I have a real rig, which is up by the way. <clears throat> so I'm not sure what, I don't know, I'm not sure if that'll be possible or not. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if we become like indoor crab people, uh, like hermit people, you know, like, some some folks are going to be fine with like the internet and like have they have they already have the computers that can do it but there's going to be some people that are unfortunately left behind yeah i know it's definitely that time of distinct it's like i don't want to say segregation but financial segregation for sure mm-hmm. yeah it's a very binary you either have or you don't and you can yeah. just you know you you're like, like you watch the cable tv or you know it's like this whole it's a very different uh it's unfortunate yeah, and that's what I'm saying about the dark times is now is the time for those to end so that everyone's taken care of no matter what the binary mm-hmm. financial segregation is. Because you know, there's there's tears. There's the extremely wealthy who are worth millions and millions, even billions of dollars. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's all of these people on the bottom mm-hmm. that make less than all the wage. Yeah, I mean, I, I've been a big fan of Andrew Yang throughout this election cycle. Um, right. And his whole his whole platform is the universal basic income. Yeah. Um, and now, huh? I would save everyone right now. Yeah, and that's like out every, on everybody's mind. It's like, we're like, how are we going to keep all these people afloat? Because, you know, yeah, yes, the coronavirus will kill uh, likely thousands, if not tens of thousands of people. But 
this economic shutdown is going to ruin many more lives than that. Oh, yeah, for sure. Especially considering 9-11. Mm -hmm. It was like the, the center for finances crash. Mm -hmm. So it affected everyone, even global, even globally. Mm -hmm. However, this, this time it's exponentially worse because everyone's businesses aren't relying on any kind of stock. It's just then they make their bills. Mm -hmm. So if their company is going to fail because they can't, then that's a serious problem. And it's yeah. like this big reset, this big like hard knock on everybody's head. It's like, yeah. maybe this is the conversation starter for maybe this is how we get, you know, some of these really important necessary changes through. Um, exactly. That's why this election is so valuable because it determines how this country is going to be run. Yeah, like if this stuff happened like a year earlier or a year later, it probably wouldn't have the effect it is having now where it's like nobody knows what's going to happen. You know, nobody yeah. knows what the next, it's such a big mind blow, you know? And that goes back to the, um, the spirit animal of the butterfly because when the caterpillar goes into that chrysalis, they don't know what's going to happen. Do they think they're dying? Do they think it's transformation? Do they understand they're going to come out a beautiful butterfly or they just think they're dying? Mm -hmm. A lot of creatures, when they're going to die, they bury themselves in, in a tunnel or put them, like, lock themselves in, in a chamber of some kind to mm -hmm. die alone, move on. So I wonder if that's the crystal, what, the, what the caterpillar feels as though. They just want to feel, I mean, I'm sure they, I know they feel compelled to just build this thing around them. They did eat a lot though, so maybe they think they're gonna wake up again. I'm not sure what they're feeling. I am aware though that whatever they're feeling is likely similar to how we're feeling. Mm -hmm. So they find out. Yeah, I've never thought about what does a caterpillar feel as they yeah. build a yeah. chrysalis, but that's a very interesting idea. I like that a lot. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm thinking the article. The article gave me all these concepts. Mm -hmm. And so, um, I'll send it to you after. yeah, please do, please do. And I can include in the notes, uh, for this interview. Um, and I get, you know, for, I get, we, we've covered a lot of ground, like you've covered like what you want for everybody. You also covered what you want for yourself. Um, is there anything else you want before you die or should we move on to the next prompt of what? What do you want? When, how do you finish that prompt of when I die? I want. Oh, yeah. I die, I, when I die, I want to see all of these complications somewhat resolved at least. Hmm. I don't remember what, I know I said something really wise the first time. And honestly, I was not in a good place last one, last mm -hmm. interview. So I was more just following my memory of what I said the first time, but I wasn't really feeling it. Mm -hmm. You know, I think there's a difference between when you feel something and when you're just repeating what you said because you should, mm -hmm. I feel as though I was in a place where I was just repeating what I said to follow up. I think this time I'm doing like genuine conversations. So because we're having more interesting conversations. And the first time I was listening to them, thinking about what happened and I'm a victim of this, etc. This time I feel like I'm putting a lot more 
thoughtfulness into what I'm mm-hmm. answering it. It keeps looping back in circles and such. So I would like to at least see some of it resolved. I mean, I'm hopefully, I hopefully have like, the rest of my life out of me. So I'm sure I'll see some kind of progress. I think that is a very exciting time for me to be alive in because I get to like, witness the changes, the pivotal moment where it literally feels like the apocalypse. I saw this meme the other day, which I don't mean I'm not a meme person ever. I just mm-hmm. happened to see this one because I watched someone's story and they shared this meme for their story. But I, I, I thought it was so funny. <laughs> it was... um. It said, when you realize the end of the world, even the end of the world is made in China. (laughs) (laughs) I I was just thinking to myself, wow, that's hilarious, but true. It's true, but hilarious. Mm -hmm. Even the end of the world is made in China. All at a time that feels like the death of the world. You know those future apocalypse movies, games where everybody's just shutting their house, where they're like making the stores, the shelves are going empty so they can survive. And I mean, after that comes breathing. So I'm hope I don't know. I'm just saying that in the past, in in, in fantasy stories, it always comes to raids. It does. <laughs> You're right. <laughs> so I'm just I'm waiting tentatively to see if that is a like a thing that our society will come to. I'm not sure. It also comes to um like people killing each other for resources. I'm hoping you don't get there. Really hoping that'll be even more of a death toll than the coronavirus already taken. So we'll see what happens. When I die, I really, I really want to see that not be a thing, though. I want to see everything on the uprise. Primarily, I know primarily before it was spiritually, and I feel as though recently it's been more politically, because politically will unlock spirituality, changes in how politics are run. We interact with will affect changes how people perceive everything, which will affect their affect their connection to themselves and their spirituality. But really, it's all chain effect. I was just focused on the end result before, then I was just imitating what I said about the end result, and now that I'm actually really reconnected with myself, I understand that I would like to connect to spirituality on a deeper level, but I want to see the chain reaction start with the politics. Mm-hmm. That's what I want when I die. And do you have, um, and I, I know I asked you this before, but, and part of it was you couldn't answer because you don't, you didn't, you literally didn't have like the memory of it. But like, you know, talking about the caterpillar making the chrysalis, thinking that they're about to die, do you, do you now have any idea of what that process of death is going to feel like or look like? I still have no memory of the accident. Mm-hmm. I don't think I ever will. So, I mean, 
I know comas are more exciting in books. <laughs> yeah. In TV shows. Yeah, TV shows. All the fantasy writings. Comas are an intense changeover. Mm-hmm. And it's one that people come back realizing they were in a coma and remembering what happened. And I'm going to corroborate that I do believe it is a definitely a changeover, a significant event that you know there's no going back from it from before. Before the coma and after the coma. Once you reach after the coma, there's no going back to before the coma. Mm-hmm. So there's that. But honestly, I have, the only memory I have is everything. I don't have a memory of this stuff. It's just nothingness. It's flat, empty. Mm-hmm. It's just nothing there. I do not think that that's how death will be like, however. Mm. And I also would like to mention that this girl that is friends with some of my friends, mostly my aerial friends from the the other side of my teacher, my private teacher. Mm-hmm. She, uh, her friend group, like, well, the, the friend group that was the Silkies, were all pretty close to this girl. Her name is Megan. And on Christmas Day, she was T-boned, same as I was, by somebody who was, I don't know, it was like a woman who was in her 60s. And unfortunately, she did not make it. Mm. So, I mean, that was really, that hit me hard just because I know that it could have been me. Was that this past Christmas? Yes. I see. I went to a memorial, like at the end of February, uh, the week before the end of February. It was called A Celebration of Life, which I think that is a great way to have a memorial. Because <clears throat> ultimately, it's, it is a memorial, but it is a celebration of the, the person's life. Mm-hmm. So I feel really, really for me for a week. I know it really hurt people that were actually close to her and knew her. And I didn't know her, really. I met her one time. But it's still really, really hit me hard. It's crazy because people ask me how I knew her. And honestly, I'm, I'm just a follower on Instagram. Mm-hmm. She, her creeping is so inspiring. So inspiring. So I... And she always hooped to heavy metal, which I really like because <laughs> I feel that. I was a metalhead in high school, so mm-hmm. nice to have that be a thing that you actually can flow to. Which um, I did a hoop video in her honor, her honor, and I actually did do it to a heavy metal. So that was nice. And the song is called Legacy. Mm-hmm. So that, that was appropriate. Mm-hmm. So that contrast really hit me. Really hurt. As I said, it probably hurt people. I'm sure I'm sure it hurt people a lot more. Mm-hmm. I mean, at least the, the, the bright side is that she was driving back from her parents' house, so she got to spend Christmas with her parents. Mm-hmm. That's very important. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a really tragic. Um... Just like a what if, you know, like, you know, if that if you're if the if your accident was just like six inches one other way, if you weren't wearing the seatbelt or whatever, that would have been your story. Right. That would have been how. And it was very, very interesting to me to listen to how they did the memorial ceremony 
listening to everybody go up and say their piece, not everybody, listen to her close friends go up and say their piece about who she was. You know, and some people recounting memories they had of her. Mm-hmm. I just kept asking myself what people would say about me. Mm-hmm. So it was really, really good. Um, it just made me question the quality of my relationships which mm. yeah mm. <laughs> honestly I felt, I felt good about those um, those answers to myself though I keep saying I it seemed to me as though I had a really significant impact on my community and thankfully, instead of a memorial, I had a fundraiser, which gave me an idea about what would happen if I did that. Mm-hmm. And that was very powerful because it was every area of the community came together to you know, back me and raise money for me. And that was really tremendous. I still think on that. I just, Think back on how that memory is so beautiful, and how warm, how how full my heart feels about it. Mm-hmm. Because I had such a severe impact on so many areas of the community. Mm-hmm. And I imagine too that uh, you know if this young woman had ended up surviving somehow you would have been you would have been like even though you don't you didn't really you only met her once it would have been a wonderful opportunity for you to be like let me show you what i've learned so far yeah and um you know her story is really inspiring to me because it influences how i interact with people and how i perceive myself How has, how has that experience changed the way that you ha- like have your, you, you interact with your friends and because you, you mentioned that, that it changed it a little bit, the way you perceive some of the relationships you have. What are some of the ways in which that, that change is seen? How do you see that change? The, the way that, you know, her going to that memorial, seeing the way that her friends saw her and memorialized her. Um, and celebrated her life. Um, how did that? How do you? How do you go into the world differently now? Honestly, by trying to implement some of her qualities, I bring keep her alive in the way that I interact with people. Mm. And how I how I emanate myself. Mm-hmm. Keep her alive. I keep her alive. In mm-hmm. Is there anything else on that list of when I die I want? I feel like it was a very long response. I feel like I've looked back around a lot. I really am. And I also feel as though I'm getting a lot of thoughts out. 
and I've been very enthusiastic to share or that it just appeared in my conversations. Okay. And that says after I die. Mm-hmm. So after I die, I would like to similarly be remembered in, in ways people interact with the world. You know, maybe eliminate spirituality in different ways mm-hmm. on your level. Bring forth those energies. Included, I know I said the Phoenix doesn't really resonate with me as much anymore, but including those Phoenix energies that I did mention last time. Mm-hmm. You know, keeping themselves at the best they can be. And interacting with others the best they can be. I don't want them to have forgotten anything about what I said that I learned. And that's changed my conception of myself and what I've learned. I want what I've learned to still be resonating with people, even after I'm gone. I know that's what I said last time, but I really need to do that. Mm-hmm. After I die, I also really hope, I don't know, hope that it's shared so that everyone will be impacted by it. I think that's what I said last time also. And I feel there was always more to this answer than what I've said before. What I said the first time was I think that humanity will be okay, here we go. So since I'm on the po- the political <laughs> after I die, I really hope that. I really desire for society to be making better decisions about how they interact and how they treat the environment. I really care a lot about Mother Earth. If that hasn't been emphasized. So I care a lot about Mother Earth. I want people to interact with her better and treat her better because she deserves it. People suck, honestly. I mean, I am people. <laughs> and that's why I'm trying to do my best because I want to I want to live in such a way that others imitate or behave similarly to improve people. I think that will be different for everyone. I'm not sure how it will play out for various people. People now, I also think that with the the next generations, well, that's another thing I want to say is, I don't know, I've been asking people how they are like, such as cashiers and people on the line at restaurants. Because most of those people are likely younger than me. Mm-hmm. That's another thing is 
I just hit my mid twenties this past year, and I think back and I'm, I wonder to myself, what happened to my early twenties? What? How? Did it really just pass me by? Just like that? So much tragedy and suffering, and now I'm in my mid twenties, so I'm looking forward to the next. Well, until my thirties for sure, but. You know, my, I think my, my dad, it was, that said, live as best you can in your 20s and do all the things that you, would, you know, that you feel compelled to do because the 20s are the best time in your life. And then I've talked to people in their 30s since then, and they say, no, the 20s are when you're lost and confused, and once you hit your 30s, you start to get an idea of how you want the rest of your life to be. Yeah, who you are. You find out who you are in your 30s. You're at a loss in the twenties. <clears throat> so when my dad my dad described it as kind of the peak of your life, and when everyone else is describing it since then, has been saying that your your life, the peak of your life doesn't start until after you have a better idea of who you are, and then life gets more. I mean, understand it better. Something else to that. Mm-hmm. Let me oh. see that for you. Oh, sorry. Go, go. So I think that the peak of, I don't know, my life will be a long, long, I guess, a large percentage of my full lifetime. If I'm having a full lifetime, if I don't die from the corona. <laughs> Can you imagine if I was still in the hospital right now when this is all going down? It'd be wild. It's a weird time to be in the hospital, that's for sure. Sure. I mean, my mom was saying yesterday how there's people in the hospital or in hospice and nursing homes and such, and their family can't even come visit them. So I would be in the hospital totally separate from my family, which is really momentous to think because. My family, I'm really, really confident, is a large percentage of why I've recovered so much. Having them there for me all the time, present, helping me along, encouraging me. Just being the way that our family should be really made my process, my recovery, a lot stronger. I mean, even now, and I meet. I think I said this earlier, but I meet people and they have no idea that I'm brain, I have brain damage. Mm-hmm. They just don't even come to mind. I mean, when you meet somebody, you contemplate to yourself whether or not that they kind of have brain, da- have brain damage or a large amount of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so unless they do something weird, or you're like, does this person have brain damage? It's not something that usually crosses your mind. So now we go, you know, I gotta be doing something right. Mm-hmm. If people aren't wondering to themselves by something I'm doing, if I'm doing damage. But because people don't ask themselves that, people just automatically think that I'm, I don't know, for example, that I'm, that I'm, I mean, I do have an attitude problem, but that I'm, you know, like, a, forgive my inappropriate speech, but that I'm a cringy bitch. 
because I have a pretty serious attitude problem, and now I just, I mean, I didn't take shit before, but I don't take no shit in my mouth. <laughs> At all. But you wouldn't think that that's because I have brain damage. You just think that's because that's who I am. So people have a misunderstanding of my true personality because they didn't know me before. Granted, some people that didn't know me before like me better. <laughs> as I am. But because they don't have a comparison, so they're, they're just like, oh yeah, she's great. So we've, this was a really fun check-in with you. I am this, you know, if the, I think your story needed to be at least a trilogy, you know, there's the before, there's, you were in the low, and then now we're here where we, you're, we can tell you're, you're, you're different. You're very, you're different than you were in the first interview. Um, and, and I hesitate to use the word better, but it's just, you're, you're, you've grown. You've, I hate that word better. Mm -hmm. I know I kept saying, oh, I'm going to be better before. I was like, obsessed with saying better. Mm -hmm. But I mean, it's not really better. It's just a more developed, more experienced. Exactly. Like, I can tell right now that there's just so much more experience in, more in life and earn. Yeah, it's just all, uh, I'm, I'm just so glad. And this, this, this third interview was everything that I was hoping that it was going to be um, and more. Um, and I'm just excited to imagine you and like checking in with you in a couple more years and just seeing how, how you, how you're, you know, really doing it. Oh, hello, honey. My dog just busted it in here. Um, yeah, I'm just really excited to see that. And, um, I want to thank you and I want to give you the floor to speak to the audience again directly, um, whether it's you in that 10, 20 years from now, or uh, a couple of years when we're about to do the next check-in, or maybe it's somebody that knows you. Uh, before or after the accident and just wants to sort of hear this like hear what you have to say before it's yours i thank you very much i really appreciate you checking in for a third time and to everyone else the first thing that i'm going to say is that drop your labels stop identifying yourself by who you think you are ask yourself who you are on the inside Live by being the best version of who you are. Not better. I don't like that word anymore. <laughs> Just drop your labels. Oh. So drop your labels, be the best you can. And live by the four agreements. The four agreements are something that I've decided to adopt as a tattoo or multiple tattoos because it requires multiple. Whatever. Okay, so the four agreements are never take anything as an assumption. Don't ever perceive anything as a personal, don't take things personally. So if somebody sounds kind of salty with you, don't take it personally, they're just in their own headspace. They're just projecting themselves onto you. It's always an aspect of themselves. Because <clears throat> we always project an aspect of who we are that maybe we're dissatisfied with, and that's why we're being cringy. Or the third agreement with yourself is 
Be impeccable with your word. Keep it real. Be honest. Say all the things you should say or that you think you should say. And always do your best. If you live by the four agreements, your life will improve. Your labelless life will improve. So my recommendation to all the listeners is drop your labels. Always do your best. Speak impeccably. Don't make assumptions and don't take things personally. Those are the best. It's still probably the, some of the best advice that I can provide. These are some things that I learned. And keep living. Always do your best. Thank you so much for listening. Hopefully the Phoenix will give you some fire and then maybe you'll emerge from the fire as a butterfly. Have a grateful Kingdom. Thank you, Eugene. Thank you, Alana Karma. This has been Alana Karma on death again. Kim and I welcome you to On Death, the podcast where we talk about death through the four prompts. I am, before I die, I want, when I die, I want, and after I die, I want. This week we sit down with Alana Karma again. Alana is a 22-year-old survivor, phoenix, and hyperdimensional immortal alien. Since our last conversation 16 months ago, she endured a horrific car accident that left her in a coma without the use of her left side and memory issues because of massive brain swelling. Now, just under a year since the crash, she is recovering function and learning new skills. During this conversation, we cover the long road between the accident and now, why these events might turn her into a better teacher, and how she has learned to appreciate her left side glitches. Before we talk more about Alana and this really great story that uh, of, of what she's experienced, I want to talk about my long-form Sunday's posts over the past uh, couple of years. So that since the first Anatomy Lab to now, I've written reflections every week of my medical school experiences um, and uh, to now the uh, start of my fourth year. So most uh, a little bit recently, on July 22nd, 2018, I published On the Taper, or One Day to Step 2. This week, I reflect on I reflected on the coming attraction, step two. I have consciously tapered my studying to peak my test-taking abilities for tomorrow's eight-hour marathon. Now I just need to run the race. Then, more recently, on July 29th, 2018, I published On the Other Side again, or six days since step two. This week, I reflected on the end of a long, long grind. With the end of step two, I have taken the past week to, to catch my breath and unwind for the first time since third year began. Now I feel ready for the next stage of transition, applying to residencies and the third trimester for baby. Anyway, back to Alana. Oh, anyway, uh, you can find all my long-form Sundays posts as well as all of the uh, interviews for On Death at mnmwod.com. That is Mobility and Mindfulness Work of the Day, mnmwod.com. So back to Alana. Alana is definitely a hyperdimensional immortal alien, surviving every day 
taking it one day at a time and a phoenix. Before Alana dies, she wants to see the world evolve and make significant progress toward advancing as a community and to accomplish getting more skilled at silks and fire spinning than she was before. When Alana dies, she wants to have inspired people that, she, that knew her to be the Phoenix versions of themselves and to gracefully walk forth into it. After Alana dies, she wants people to be influenced by her story, to have some impact on individual souls in this way, for the earth to be revived, and for the earth to transcend its current state. And in conclusion, Alana says, I just want to thank you all for doing your, doing your thing and living and existing. I truly hope that maybe today or maybe tomorrow you decide to be the better version of yourself and make the best choices and make the choices that benefit the greater whole, not just yourself. Make better choices, basically. Feel better, do good things, give to somebody, tell somebody you love them, tell them your feels, pursue happiness. Remember that today or tomorrow might be your last day. You don't really know. And may Mother Gaia bless your experience on this earth. So uh, this was a really great conversation. And I mean, the story of, of, of uh, you know, the first interview uh, when she was like 20, two, 21 or 20. And, uh, no, you know, she, it was such a cerebral conversation. We were talking about ideas and like the Internet and all these, this really fun. Really, it was a really great conversation. And I highly recommend you listen to it so much so that I have actually included it at the end of this interview. So you don't even need to go anywhere else. You can uh, just continue listening on if you hadn't heard the first one. Or you can just jump ahead uh, probably like an hour and a half. You'll, you'll kind of get it. I'll, I'll make it obvious where, where the transition is. Uh, and uh, the the difference between the two conversations is startling, and I think that's something that uh, is a reflection of the fact that these conversations, these interviews, are really just a snapshot in time. They are uh, one person on one particular day having a conversation with one other person, me. And um, it's a really interesting way to sort of gauge the progress through time is the, the difference in the conversation. She sounds different. She talks slower. Um, and uh, we also did this interview over the Internet. So we and uh, she saw me, but I wasn't able to see her. So it was also interesting in terms of me being unable to read her body language and knowing what she's going through as she's talking. Um, and she also had her mother on the line on the other side. So that was also an interesting thing. And also the, the, the relationship of her and her mother has uh, obviously strengthened so much as a result of this, of, uh, of this accident. And you can hear it in the way that she, she refers to her mother, the things that her mother says, the, the way that uh, her mother – like, uh, we, we have a break for our technical difficulties uh, during the interview. And uh, when we come back, uh, she has all the she she kind of comes back with these stories uh, that her mother prompted her to to tell us, uh, which are great stories. Uh, but we it, rather than kind of going back exactly on where we were when we interrupted, it was just it's just interesting and the the, uh, uh, the the transition from you know adults back to almost a child, uh, where she's having her first words again. She's she's walking again. She's taking her first steps again for the first time, and she's having her mother be such a supportive you know mother for her uh through this really difficult trying time and it's just it's just very fascinating on many levels and uh, we talk about some really good stuff um 
we talk about her uh we she w- the way we start the interview is almost like a uh, uh a medical history um but it's it's from the perspective of a very informed uh lay person so it's 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 really really interesting to hear her you know lay out the steps and and the procedures that she un- she went through um without the 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 jargon that i'm used to hearing uh the the medical jargon that i'm used to hearing she she uses some of it but she doesn't s- space it in that way so it's very it was really interesting because it's a really great history of what happened to her from the accident to basically a couple uh since getting discharged from uh inpatient rehab and it's just really it's a really great story and uh, it's just i just thought was really enamored by the fact that it's like a, a normal person telling a really detailed medical history uh, and then we also talk about um taking things for granted like raising your hand and uh and then we also dig into a little bit in like for me i think it was it was really interesting you know she's talking about trying to move forward trying to regain what she's lost um and then she also has this kind of like stand when she talks about like the old guy uh, that uh, caused the accident and the the discrepancy, you know, he, this guy spent uh, far less time as a result of the accident than she did, and um, and I ask her, and maybe it was a little bit too direct of a question, but asking her like, can she or will she be able to forgive the person, uh, the guy for uh, causing the accident? And I think it was really interesting that, uh, and I think it's very telling about how soon, how recent this accident is, and how much she's still actively uh, re- recovering and recuperating from the accident. That she says um, uh, that she. Will, might be able to forgive him once she gets to where she was. And it's like a very contingent, very uh, like if-then sort of forgiveness. And I think that's a very interesting thing. And I wonder uh, how that will change over the next five or ten years. Um, maybe she recovers everything, maybe she doesn't. But with, with a little bit more time, a little bit more distance, and uh, a little perspective on, on what has happened to her. And maybe she's teaching again. Uh, maybe she's back to the sulks. Who knows where she's at. Uh, but this was a really great conversation. And I I think that um, this is something that I would like to continue doing, these sort of checkups on people as they have uh, large, you know, earth, like earth shattering, world changing, life altering experiences um, between the interviews. And uh, the next one that I think you have to look forward to is myself and my partner Mackenzie as we have our child, you know, because childbirth is such a weird thing and raising kids is such a weird transition state. So anyway. Uh, I hope that you don't mind me rambling a whole lot about uh, Alana and this story, but I really think that you, if you haven't listened to the first one, you really should jump ahead like an hour and a half, uh, and then you can kind of find out where it is, because I don't know exactly how long I've been rambling for anyway. Uh, and uh, listen to that first conversation, or maybe you just listen to this this update knowing where she has been, and then you can listen to the first interview knowing where she will go and just that interesting space. So uh, however you want to, uh, you know, learn the saga of Alana, it's up to you. Uh, but I hope that you have uh, something ready to uh, maybe some coffee, some tea, some water, or a nice walk ahead of you uh, as you listen to this really great conversation with Alana Karma on death again. It is July 25th, 2018, and I am sitting here in my Coopersburg home, and Alana Karma is sitting in her Sarasota, Florida home, and we're going to be talking about death through the four prompts. Alana, what are the four prompts? The four prompts are one, I am, two, before I die, three, when I die, and four, after I die. Great. And how do you finish that first prompt, I am? 
Well, I am definitely a hyperdimensional immortal alien. Mm. And um, I am existing on this fifth or third dimensional planetary existence. Surviving every day. Taking it one step or one day at a time. I mean, that's all I really can do is take it a day at a time because you never know what day is going to be your last day. Mm-hmm. And so what, uh, what does it mean to definitely be a hyperdimensional being on this third uh, three-dimensional uh, reality? Well, I have learned that I am a phoenix. I went through this burn where I was burned down to pretty much nothing. And I am rising from the ashes to become even better than I was before. And what, uh, what was that experience? Uh, like what, what, what does, what is, okay. There are two parts to that. What was this experience of burning and what was, what, what do you mean by better than before? Like what, what would that be like? What, in what ways would you be better? Okay. Well, Last October, I don't know how many months after April that was. About six. Okay, so six months after my last interview, Mm -hmm. I got in a really, really awful car accident where I was leaving my friend's house. I made it to the end of her street, but not even to the next street. I was turning left, and a 92-year-old man, like, T-boned my driver's side of my car so I'd make it to the next street. And um, it was terrible in a lot of ways. But I was immediately in a coma after I got hit for 18 days. The jaws of life were needed to pull me out of my vehicle because it was just crushed in every doorway. It was just crushed. So I needed the jaws of life to get me out of the car. Mm -hmm. And I. Yeah, I was in a coma. And then I was anoxic for 25 minutes, which means that there was no brain to my no oxygen oxygen to my brain, except I took one big breath every one of those 25 minutes. And obviously I still have brain capacity <laughs> since I'm able to do this interview. And then I was in the ICU for three and a half weeks. My pelvis was broken in six places from my seatbelt, which, <laughs> thank God I was wearing my seatbelt. Otherwise, I would have gotten thrown out the front of my windshield, which probably would have been a lot worse than I am now. So, I mean, if I had to break my pelvis in six places and I couldn't walk for three months, like, eh, whatever. <laughs> so I also had some broken ribs, and um, I had my, my lung on my right side collapsed. And then I had my, I had a splenectomy, which means that my spleen was removed. I had bladder surgery and my brain was so swollen. And I had 25 staples in the side of my head because I guess it was cut by probably the window. I don't really know. Mm-hmm. And then I was on a ventilator, which is why my voice sounds different now. 
which is basically a really big tube that goes down your throat so that you can breathe. And it's only supposed to be left in for X amount of time, and mine was left in for, like, more than that amount of time, obviously. Mm -hmm. So I now have scar tissue on the right vocal cord, and that just sucks. It's a good good damn thing I wasn't a singer before this accident. Because <laughs> that would have screwed up my whole life. Mm. <clears throat> and I also had a lot of internal bleeding. I lost eight pints of blood, and we only have ten pints of blood in our bodies. Mm -hmm. So thank goodness for blood transfusions. Because I'd probably be dead right now if I didn't have those. Mm -hmm. And then I had... I was on 20-something medications at first, and then I had a chest tube, and um, <clears throat> on day five, they had me in a medically induced coma, and this was after my 18-day coma, and so uh, after less than a day, and my brain wasn't going down at all, they designated me to undergo a craniotomy, which means they're going to cut open my skull and take out the bones of my front, both my frontal lobes. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> and they put them in my stomach, which sounds really weird. <laughs> it was that or a freezer, though. And uh, the difference is that with it being still in my body, when it gets put back in my head, my body won't react like it's something foreign. Mm -hmm. It will just accept it anyway. And um, I also had a tracheotomy, which means I had a, my throat in between my collarbones cut open and then a tube stuck down in there. Mm -hmm. So I could still like breathe and stuff. <clears throat> and then at one point later on, they gave me some something weird. I don't know what it is, but it was going to allow you to talk with a trachin. And I still didn't talk. And my family was just like wondering if I could ever talk again or if I just wasn't talking for whatever reason. And it turns out that my vocal cords were still damaged enough to the point where I couldn't make any words. Mm -hmm. So after like a week or so of that, I and my first word was berries, <laughs> which is funny because everybody has a first word, but I had a second first word. <laughs> I have like a second first of everything. <clears throat> um, so in November, which is after the initial incident, and uh, my accident was on October 11th, by the way. Mm -hmm. So in November... I was transferred to a long-term long care facility, or an LTAC, which means long-term acute care. And um, I had a really bad lung infection when I was in ICU, which is an intensive care unit. Mm -hmm. And I almost went back there on the second day because they took me out of the ICU and put me in um, a different floor. And I almost had to go back to the ICU because of my lung infection. I had lung treatments every four to six hours for like six weeks. 
normally you only have lung invasive lung treatments for like two weeks or so. Mine was six weeks long. And basically during a lung treatment, you get a vaporizing medication put into your lungs to break up all the phlegm that you can't cough up. And then it's suctioned out of your lungs, which they use the trach for. And like they took so many buckets of shit out of my lungs. <laughs> it was pretty awful. And then the end of November, I was transferred to long-term acute care facility, which is different than the ICU. And I remember the ambulance ride from St. Joseph's Hospital to the long-term acute care facility. My sister was in there, which was awesome because I woke up and I knew who she was. My family was really worried that when I woke up, I wasn't going to remember who they were. Mm -hmm. I wake up, I mean, become cognizant. So I recognized my sister and she basically explained um, kind of a little summary of that fact that I got in a really bad car accident. I've been in the hospital for like two months and I'm just getting transferred to the LTAC, which is cool because it was either that or a nursing home. But my mom didn't want to put me in a nursing home because it's basically the place that old people go to when they want to prepare to die. And she doesn't think that I was going to die or be on that path. And I couldn't yet follow commands or anything like that. So I had to go to the LTAC instead of rehab because you can only go to rehab after you start responding to commands, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. So I was transferred to long-term acute care. I don't really remember the process of being admitted, but I mean, yeah, they took like an inventory of my problems and what I had to do to get better or whatever, whatever. And then I still could not move the left side of my body until the end of December. And so I started remembering things at the end of November, a few days before I turned 22 which is awesome because I got to remember my 22nd birthday. (laughs) Now, don't get me wrong. It was a shitty birthday. It really sucks having it in the hospital. But at least I remember it, which is great. So I'm really grateful that I remember my birthday. And then I was in the acute care facility for like five weeks. And by the end of December, the day that my sister was leaving to fly back to Utah, <clears throat> by the way my sister flew out the second day of second day after my accident like the day after it happened she would have been there the first day but she couldn't find a flight from utah to tampa in that amount of time so she had to do it the next day instead which i am super grateful for because she obviously gives a lot of a shit about me <laughs> <laughs> So, yeah, she was there pretty much the whole time. And then at the end of December is when she was going to fly back. And the day she was going to fly back, I moved my left arm and my left leg, neither of which I had moved since the accident happened, except for, like, little twitches. But that was just reflex stuff. 
And so that was great that I moved both of the left side of my body because if I couldn't move left foot or leg, I probably would never be able to walk again. And I can walk, so I'm really glad I can move my left leg. <clears throat> and my left arm is kind of messed up. Like my brain injury was on the right side. And if you know anything about that, it was affecting the whole left side of my body because the right side of your brain controls it. And thank God that it wasn't a left side of my brain damage because my art hand is my right side of my body and my right arm. So I would lose my art. And the old guy took pretty much everything else, like my coordination, my skills, my aerial muscle, everything. Mm -hmm. But not my art. So I got this tattoo on my hand of a tattoo machine as a symbol of my dedication and commitment to my art skills and such so i feel like that is a significant effect of getting that tattoo is it's like gratitude for my right hand and not being damaged and messed up so that's great and then um so i moved my left side of my body in the same day and then i was scribbling stuff to communicate when I could not talk. Uh, my right hand could still work fine, so I could still write. But it, it was not good handwriting. Like, I could barely read it when I looked at it later. Mm -hmm. I was like, what the hell was I trying to say? <laughs> I, was con I was significantly confused by my own thoughts. And um, the first sound that I made before I could actually say words was shh, but it didn't sound like that. It was like shh, shh, shh. <clears throat> so once I got down the making noise out of my my vocal cords, eventually a few days later I said berries, but it was really soft. It wasn't like berries. It was like berries. <laughs> And that's because my vocal cords were still damaged and they didn't like touch each other. And if you know anything about vocal cords or vocalization, you know that your vocal cords have to come together all the way and touch so that you can make sounds. And so by the end of my second phase of rehab, which I will get into, <clears throat> the last day that I was in rehab, I went to the ENT doctor, which is your nose and throat doctor, ENT. Mm -hmm. So I went to that guy. His name was Dr. Carlson. Not that you need to know that, <laughs> but just a little detail. So Dr. Carlson stuck a camera, a little camera, up my nose to look at my throat. And you think, why doesn't he just stick it down your throat? Well, the reason is because your gag reflex will sometimes cause you to vomit, which may be on the ENT. <laughs> so they just go for your nose every time just to be safe and prevent vomiting. <laughs> <laughs> so I got, he took a little video of that. And I got to watch it and see my vocal cords touch each other again, which is cool. But he showed me this little spot on my right vocal cord, which is a little bit of scar tissue, which will likely never get back to scarless tissue. 
So my voice may be like this forever. I don't know. I guess only time will tell. So yeah, I, my vocal cords were better by the end of my second phase of rehab. Mm -hmm. And basically in January of this year, on January 2nd, I went back to the head surgeon or whatever. I don't know what you call those. Neurosurgeon? Um, yes, a neurosurgeon. <laughs> and he put my skull back in my head, took it out of my stomach, and put it back in my head, which is cool. <laughs> really, really cool. Because <laughs> now my head, my skull is where it's supposed to be. <laughs> and he made my head round again because my head was very misshapen during this entire time period because it was swollen. Was messed up, <clears throat> but he did a great job. My head is normal looking again, so that's nice. <clears throat> and um, so that was in January. That was January second, and I stayed in that hospital, St. Joseph's Hospital, for like a week. And then on the following Monday, or Sunday, I got transferred from that hospital took an ambulance ride up to Jacksonville, which is really far from the area. I was in Tampa. So Jacksonville is like four hours away. Mm -hmm. Because I was going to get admitted to Brooks Hospital, which is a really great facility. I really, I, you know, I swear by Brooks. So anyway, I did the inpatient rehab thing. And they got us up at like seven or eight every morning to do a little schedule until like four o'clock or something. <clears throat> and that is okay. So when my first, when my arm first started moving, I can only lift it up like to my rib cage. By the end of my stay at Brooks, I could lift it all the way up above my head. Mm. So I could raise my hand, which is cool. Because that, you know, we just take shit for granted, like raising your hand. I couldn't even do that. Like breathing, like speaking, like eating, walking, whatever, whatever, which I had to relearn how to do all that stuff. So that sucks. And that is part of how I burned. <clears throat> and then after the inpatient thing at Brooks, I was admitted into the outpatient which initially they told us it was going to be five to six weeks, which I can handle that. And then they told the, and then we were told it was going to be seven to nine weeks. Okay, I can still handle that. And then when I got to Brooks and got admitted, they were telling me it was going to be a 12, 12 week long rehab. And I was like, oh, hell no, I'm not staying that long. I was like, I'll stay for the first two weeks and then I'll be dipping. But you know what? I stayed there. I ended up staying there and the whole time. And I was discharged on 420, which is fucking hilarious. <laughs> Since I'm not supposed to do that anymore. <clears throat> so I just thought that was really ironically funny. Which, I mean, it is. And during my stay at the outpatient Brooks Rehab was the first time I ever got on silks again. My physical therapist actually met me at the facility and I got to do silks, which is awesome. Mm -hmm. My physical therapist was there to make sure I didn't do anything too crazy. 
strenuous, whatever. But I definitely freaked out my mom and the physical therapist because I, you know, I could do everything, but I really, really wanted to climb to the top of the silks. <laughs> and my mom was like, "Okay, you can go halfway up the silks, and then you better come down." I was like, "Cool." So I cl- climbed up halfway to the top of the silks, and then I did actually come down. Which now she says she's really glad that I decided to do that because she couldn't get me down. <laughs> couldn't have stopped me if I kept going. So good for me that I actually listened. <clears throat> I got to do silks. I got to do lyra that day. And also trapeze, which I never really delved into the world of trapeze. So it was like a little teaser class. I mean, trapeze was cool. And the silks, they tied the bottom, so it was more like it was more like a hammock. And we did simple stuff like inverting on the hammock stuff mm-hmm. and doing some poses, whatever, whatever. It was cool. I was really glad to do that. So that was midway sometime in March. I got out in... April and I got into the facility in the beginning of February so February March and April is like three months so I was there for like three months which is you know a long time but I definitely got better from it like they did a lot of um, cognitive rehab so it was more like thinking stuff Mm -hmm. instead of um physical stuff whereas when I was an inpatient it was mostly physical skills and trying to get my left hand more coordinated so I got better in the inpatient but my brain really got better in the outpatient so that was my entire burned to ashes experience and now I'm on the revival upswing of things I've been practicing my splits since February when I got out of the inpatient when I left the hospital. And uh, now I am grateful to say that like a month ago, I got my splits back. Congratulations. Thank you. I really thought that was important. So that's good. And it's getting to the point where I'm like stretchy enough to like drop into the split before I kind of have to sit in it for a little bit. And then sink down. Now it's like I can just go into it, no problem. And um, unfortunately, my back flexibility was stripped of me during this accident and laying in bed for three months because you know I couldn't walk for three months because my pelvis was broken, mm-hmm. and no weight bearing, so I couldn't walk. And I just I was in bed. I was stuck in bed for three months, and so. Yeah, I just, you know, I lost every bit of my muscle, which is just shit. Because for every day that you lay in bed, you lose three days of muscle mass. So realistically, I was in bed for three months, but I lost nine months of muscle. Mm -hmm. And it took me a lot of hard work and a lot of practicing silks to get that muscle. So I'm pretty bitter about that. But I mean, there's only so much you can do. I'm just grateful that my right hand still functions perfectly. 
Because I would run really, really salty if you messed up my right art hand. <laughs> and yeah, now I am becoming a phoenix, opening my wings, and I'm flying above what I could have suffered. So that's how I be became a phoenix. So and now, so, so now I'm immortal, obviously. And I'm an alien since I already was an alien. So I was an alien. I was an alien. I became an immortal alien, and now I'm a phoenix, immortal phoenix alien. <laughs> so there's a lot in this story to to unfold. Like I want to talk about uh, the you know we we talked a lot about what happened to you, but we didn't talk a lot about what you experienced. Like you. There, there was a couple months where you didn't remember anything because your brain was so damaged. And I want to know, um, what was your experience of that night? And then when you started to come back, generate memories um, for your 22nd birthday, like what was, what was your experience of, of the events? Well, I don't remember the first two months, like you said. Mm-hmm. So I mostly was filled in and told all this later on mm -hmm. when I became cognizant. And I was like, damn, that is a lot of shit. That is? Yeah, because, I mean, I've always been about I should be able to do this and I should be able to do this. Why can't I do this? Just been kind of pissed off about it because that old 92-year-old guy basically took my whole life away in one second. Mm-hmm. So he took everything that I worked for for years away, set my art, thank God, in a single moment. So I'm just frustrated all the time that I can't do the shit that I did before. But I mean, hey, just got practice and it'll all be back, just like the first time. <laughs> Hopefully it comes back faster this time, though, since I already went through this round. It's round two. Mm -hmm. So I'm hoping it'll be better. So... Um, I'm curious what happened to him as a result of this accident. Okay, he was in and out of the hospital in one single effing day. I am so mad at him. <laughs> oh, wow. Because it affected one day of his life, and it's affected my entire reality. Mm -hmm. Which is extremely imbalanced. And so we'll, we'll 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 talk a little bit more about that about those feelings. But I want to talk more about the your, your that experience. Like you, you know, you yeah, a lot of people filled you in on what happened during those two months. But like, what do you, without without you know, and I I know it's hard to um, with memory with when people tell you that things happened when you don't necessarily know that they happened. It can be easy for you. It can be difficult to sort of know what what re, what do you remember versus what are you told. But I, I want to know what, when you think back from that night to now, like what, what do you remember? Like what, what, what was your experience of, of that? Like, was it in, do you remember uh, riding in the hot, like, was it sort of like a second awakening? Because, you know, there, you know, when you have children, there's, uh, there's a window where they don't really interact with you and then they start to interact with you and then they start to generate memories and they talk 
but they might not remember those memories from adulthood because they don't know because that hasn't sort of entered the stream of their like their their identity as a person and i want to know what was that like from from that night to now like what 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 has your experience of all of this been and like what was it like to sort of like come back online well at first i was really confused mm-hmm. and then my sister told me all that like basically a little summary of when my life has changed and you know i was just pretty bitter about that So, uh, sorry about the interruption. Uh, where we were before, we were talking about um, the experience of of uh, coming back, and uh, you were saying how you were confused, and your sister so- filled you in on a-, a brief history of kind of what happened over the past two months. A brief summary. Okay, and I also wanted to add about my experience. Uh, the day I woke up from the coma, my mom was holding my hand and discussing how the last time I saw her a few days before the accident, on Sunday, my accident was on a Wednesday, so three days before I I came down to Sarasota to visit her, and I guess our interaction when I first got there, I had told her not to worry about me because my missions and my influence wasn't done here on this planet which is pretty important because I think that everybody is here for a purpose. So if my purpose reasons were not fulfilled at this time, I felt like I need to come back and do more work. Mm. So um, I think that is why I didn't die, so that I could finish up what I need to do here on planet Earth. Mm, and we'll get we'll get to that we'll we'll start talking about that in a little bit when you start talking about before you die but I still want to dig into uh into that experience okay and then my mom said that while I was in my coma before I got out of my coma my aunt Corey and my mom did a soul retrieval ritual to get my soul to return to my body so my mom went to the scene of my accident like the intersection and just asked my soul basically find it and reconnect with it and enter my body back to regain my consciousness. So that was before I woke up. And then I guess while I was still in my coma, I was visiting people in their dreams in a white gown and such. And yeah, a lot of people have told me that I was in their dreams. Because I don't really go into people's dreams, but I guess apparently I was dream walking, which is cool. Mm doing a dream walking thing which I think is important because last interview I talked a lot about how my my family is really spiritual mm-hmm. with our Native American history and such so I think I was embodying that while I was in my coma do 
do you have any memories or fragments of anything that you can recall during those two months? Um, not really. I think my body just tapped out because it wanted to heal. Mm. Uh, my memory's spotty a few days before the accident. I remember going to my mom's house and eating the soup that she made. <laughs> awesome that she made that. It was really good. I don't remember the first moment that I showed up and said that thing to her about still having work to do on planet Earth. But I remember after that, I went to go spin fire on the beach with my now ex-boyfriend and my friend Link, who's also a DJ. <clears throat> mm -hmm. Um. I, 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 I mean, we've been talking a lot about things that other people do or remember. I want to, I really want to talk about like, what was it, what about getting the motion back in your, like in your left side after the day your sister left? Like, what was that experience like? It was really quite a relief because I didn't even know if I could move my left side. So it was just a temporary paraly paral paralysis mm -hmm. And there was this one guy in my rehab that was paralyzed from the waist down. So I'm really grateful about the fact that I'm still blessed enough to have my abilities to walk and everything. And then there was this other girl I met in rehab her accident was 16 years ago. And she could not walk. She was in a wheelchair. She, her caretaker told me that she had to eat not real solid food. She couldn't eat real solid food. So I can eat real solid food. So I'm, I'm grateful about that. Mm -hmm. And then her constant caretaker was, you know, constant. Her caretaker was always with her. And um, then she couldn't speak normally. It was like a mixture of incomprehensible sounds, mm -hmm. and sign language, and also spelling and sign language, incomprehensible sounds, and kind of grunts, I guess. Mm -hmm. So she was very hard to understand. I mean, I could understand some stuff because I know how to spell in sign language. So that was cool, but it was it was a really big moment for me because it made me realize how blessed and truly grateful I am that I'm not so bad off being less than a year into my accident. Mm -hmm. So it was a really powerful moment where I, you know, had the realization that I am truly blessed. Mm -hmm. Just that contrast really gave me that ability to look and reflect on myself in a more realistic manner. Have, has this experience changed your relationship with spirituality? Because as I recall, I didn't, I didn't get a chance to listen to the full interview that we had done previously, but um, as I recall that you had uh, spiritual beliefs, but you had, uh, I, I believe that you had gotten away from the practices that you had grown up with. Um, and I just wonder if you have, um, if this has changed your spirituality? 
my spirituality has not changed. I still have the beliefs that I did. Mm -hmm. But my practice has kind of increased a little bit. The last full moon, I did like a ritual, a new moon rather. Maybe it was the new moon before that. I just, you know, I don't recall. But I did do a new moon ritual, which is, you know, something I used to do. Like my mom and I would go out in the backyard and, you know, say our intentions for the next month. And then we'd do little things like work pennies for the moon. So doing the ritual was really nice. They got to participate as well. And is this something that you think you will continue going forward? Is this, uh, does this, um, is this, is this return to uh, your, your, your pagan roots? Is this something that you, uh, you feel like is, is going to be a part of you going forward? Yes, I do feel like it was kind of a reawakening for my practice. I see. And uh, what was that? So I think I will continue doing practices that align more with the way I was raised to believe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, sometimes you need a, uh, a, a rude powerful awakening to realize that uh, some of the things that you grew up with weren't so bad and uh, whether that's a return to a church or a return to practices or a return to temple it's uh, sometimes you need a big uh, burning as you experienced to realize that the, there's a reason why these practices exist in the first place and uh, they can be very grounding and uh, comforting in that way yeah I agree I would definitely say this whole experience has definitely been a life-changing situation. <laughs> and I do really align with the whole the embodying the phoenix thing. I really find a lot of truth in it. And yeah, I really want to embody the phoenix and come back more powerful than I was previously. Mm-hmm. And so what what exactly do you mean by that? What what do you mean by more powerful than, than you were previously? Well, I feel like my spirituality is more realistic and, you know, experiential. Mm-hmm. That's cool. But, I mean, more, like, stronger, I would say, my aerial stuff, when I back into it and regain my skill and strength to what it was before. Mm-hmm. Let this empower me to continue forth with even more determination than I had previously because I'm aware of what it's like to have it stripped from you. So having it stripped or charged mm-hmm. by a return. And so is it, is this a, so I'm, I'm struck with, with, the, the specific language of being better than you were before, because I'm wondering is, is it literally, do you want to be a, like a more functioning human than you were prior to this accident? 
Like, do you want to have greater strength? Is, is, are you planning to have greater strength in your left hand than you did before the accident? Are you talking about trying to be more skillful in different ways on the silks? Um, because like what I, what I, what the, the example that I'm thinking of specifically is, um, there's a one armed MMA fighter who is, uh, who, who has had a lot of success as an MMA fighter with one hand because he has had to adapt his strategy and he, people aren't able to react in the same way to him that when he faints, uh, his, his, when he faints, it's not what the follow-up is going to be is going to be very different than if it's like painting a left hook with a right hook, it's going to be something very different. And that doesn't mean that he's a better fighter, but it means that he's a more unique fighter. And I'm wondering, uh, are you talking about being a literally more skilled aerialist or a skilled in different ways with, having weaknesses and restrictions as a result of this accident um allowing you to be more creative and more expressive in other ways because you have these restrictions well i would definitely like to regain my left hand abilities Mm -hmm. but in the event that i cannot do so i would definitely allow my restrictions to enable me to become a more unique skilled artists in flow arts and aerial arts have you do you know what that would look like do you know what that would feel like because having an injury like this or or um like i'm thinking very specifically about you regaining motion in your left side like i've never had that experience and i just want to know uh, what was that like? And, and how do you interact with your left side now versus before? Like, are you still like, as now your hand might not be as dexterous or strong, and you might get mad at it for not being clumsy when you do something with it, but or do you forgive it? Because you know what it was like to not move it at all? Yeah. Well, I definitely notice when I'm getting better at stuff. Mm-hmm. I'm going to a chiropractor now. And, you know, we have to do this exercise where I really rely on my left hand and right hand grip. Mm-hmm. And at first, my left hand would slip a lot and it would be like just my fingers holding on. But now I can like grip it and I hope my whole hand does its work. Mm-hmm. And uh, the difference between not using your left arm and being able to use your left arm, it's definitely a huge difference. I do forgive it because I know with enough drilling and enough practice that I can regain whatever is um, missing, whatever defects I'm experiencing with my left hand now. I just, you know, I just tell myself that with enough practice and determination and vision, I'll be able to regain, regain it and pursue other things once I gain it back. Mm -hmm. My grip strength is like the biggest thing. I mean, my dexterity and coordination also, like I have to drill a lot of stuff with my flow arts now because my left hand just, I mean, I'm going to use the word glitch. It just glitches out. 
And that is unfortunate, but I know if I just keep practicing it, it'll get better. Mm -hmm. I feel like glitch was the appropriate word to use because I have plates and screws in my skull now. And I had my friend like touch the screws and she was like, oh my God, you're like the real life cyborg. <laughs> I thought that was pretty perfect because I mean, I kind of am. Mm -hmm. Yeah, this is a, this is a really uh, wild time to think about what we can do with modern medicine. Um, having neurosurgery on board and imagine lots of orthopedics on board for you. Uh, it's just very, like the, the level of recovery that is possible now is startling compared to what you know if you were to get in this car accident even 10 years ago right i definitely am super 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 grateful for modern medicine because without it i'd probably be under the ground right now mm -hmm. which would not be fun mm -hmm. i'm just glad that i can i have the ability to gain my skills back and become more fulfilled through these things because it's basically like a second chance mm -hmm. like the first time I ever flipped myself upside down on the silks in a cross back straddle I like was so grateful and maybe I, I was just so happy I felt so accomplished and sometimes when I feel like I'm just like really upset that I'm gonna have to learn everything again I just remember how amazing it felt to do it the first time. So I just know that the second time is going to be even better. I was going to say, you know what I mean, but... <laughs> <laughs> Is there, um, I guess, will what it where where will the like the where will you be satisfied? Like where where will you be like? Oh, okay, I can I can uh, you know like it sounds like you are working very hard. Like you are like you are drilling. You are doing things in ways that you haven't done before because you hadn't needed to before until this point. Right. Um, and that's a lot of work. It's a lot of effort and you need to go through that effort in order to reclaim what you have lost. I wonder what, at what level will you be like, I can relax a little bit. I can really sit and just soak in on this. Or will you ever, do, do you feel like you will ever get to that point again where you're like, I can relax, I can like, I can coast now. Or do you, because you have lost so much and you know what it feels like and how good it feels to reclaim that lost ground will you ever allow yourself to lose some of that ground again right <clears throat> well i think that the most significant parallel that i would have to answer that is the fact that i was super back flexible before mm -hmm. and there were certain moves on silks where i could like like the scorpion i you might not know where, what that is but Basically, I used to, to touch my feet, like my toes to my ears, like 
backwards. It's not like I can lift my feet up to my ears while I'm sitting. Mm -hmm. The other way around, that was mostly back flexibility. Mm. My back curved enough that I, I, when I bent my knees, with my back curved, they would touch my ears. Now I can't even, can't even make a C. Mm -hmm. And so I feel like when I get that ability back, and also something I used to do with my fire staff is do a one-armed back bend and spin the staff at the same time. I feel like once I get those key things regained, mm -hmm. I'll be able to kind of chill out and be like, you've done a lot of work. You've got some of your most difficult moves back. You can chill out. Mm -hmm. But I definitely have a lot of work to do. <laughs> Before, I really didn't, I didn't have to work for my back flexibility. I just kind of had it. Mm -hmm. I mean, it got better the more I did it. But now I feel like I can't do shit. So I have to work really, really hard <clears throat> to get where I was. When I before I didn't really have to work for it. It just was like naturally that flexible. Mm -hmm. But that's what happens when you lay in bed for three months. You can't do anything. Not even walk. Mm. Yeah, I'm uh, I'm struck with this uh idea because uh the best the best coaches that I've worked with were not necessarily the best athletes and the best best athletes that I've known are not the greatest coaches and I think a lot of that has to do with the way that you earn your knowledge and the way you earn your skills and uh, somebody that these skills come easily to they don't they don't treasure the skills as much because they, they just came easy and I don't blame them. Um, and they also don't know because it came easily. They never, they didn't have to attack it from 18 different discrete angles to try to find the way into the skill uh, versus somebody who isn't very, you know, might not be physically gifted, but somebody that had to work uh, two years to get a, a free handing, freestanding handstand will be able to coach somebody along to a free handing, freestanding handstand than the athlete who just could pop up. I was like, Oh, I can do this. I didn't know. I no one like, challenged me to it, but I can do it. You know, like that, those are two very different kinds of people. And it sounds like you are going to walk uh, both fortunately and unfortunately both roads where it all came easily to you. And you know how good it feels to be able to do that and, and the freedom that comes along with having an easy backbend to a scorpion, like the, all of those things. But also you have to work. now walk the, the more difficult, longer and way less fun road of difficultly of, of, of earning those skills the hard way and over long periods of time. Um, right. And I, I just wonder, uh, you know, right now you're in the thick of it. You, you're you're working on yourself and yourself alone right now because that's all you have the energy for. Um, but I wonder uh, in five or ten years, uh, with with having walked both roads, what uh, what do you do and like how do you like how how does teaching? Like I just I just imagine down the road of like what uh, what that would look like. Right. Yeah, I've had some people tell me that aerial instructor or aerialists are either really good instructors or really good at aerial. Mm -hmm. Which I, you know, I, I feel like that really compares to what you're saying because it's like you either just have the skills 
or you had to work really hard to earn them so you're a good teacher mm -hmm. and um yeah i think having both would be really awesome <laughs> it would be a really good aerialist and a really good teacher mm -hmm. it's uh just gonna come at quite the cost right yeah. unfortunately <laughs> Mm -hmm. It'll be worth it in the end. In the end, though, I think so. That's uh, yeah. You're still at this such a squishy stage of uh, of your recovery. It's you're firming up for sure, but you're still so squishy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so we've uh, we talked a lot about um the accident and sort of what what that has been like, and I want to talk a little bit about the future now, and I want to talk uh, move on to the next prompt before I die. I want, and I want to know what uh, what how do you finish it. Well, before I die, I would like to see the world evolve and make significant progress toward advancing as a community. Mm -hmm. And uh, a long time ago, I did an interview for Live Art Labs or Live Art Laboratories. I was really, really trying to make something cool and awesome and successful. And one of the things I said in that interview was, you know, they say everything starts with one person. Or they say that you're just one person, you can't change the whole world. And I said, but everything starts with one person. One person can influence the people around them and the people around them, and it becomes a whole community, a team of following the passion or the thing that they believe in and working their hardest to make it happen to manifest it and so before I die I would like to see the world become a community that's working together for a better existence but before I die I would also like to accomplish becoming better at silks or more skilled at silks and more skilled at fire spinning than I was before mm -hmm. I feel like with fire spinning before it was mostly just like flow, it just, you know, I kind of just did it. Mm -hmm. And now I feel like I need to work my ass off for the more difficult moves and difficult skills. And I feel like I'm determined enough to manifest those things. It's just a matter of time to do it. Mm -hmm. And hopefully I've got my whole life ahead of me, but I mean, <laughs> Maybe not, maybe not, you know, everything just happens and just happens. Anything can happen in an instant. That's what I've learned from this experience. I mean, I worked for years to get my aerial skills and my fire skills. I mean, I worked for longer for my art skills, which is why I'm so grateful that the right side of my brain was injured. I got hit on the left side, so I'm not really sure why it was the right side of my brain that was more damaged there's a there's a thing called uh crew contra coup where yeah. like it's like your brain sh just jostling around yeah i yeah i forgot the word but that's what i was gonna say is contra coup <laughs> it means it like hits the opposite side mm -hmm. so like kind of like it hit me on my left and mean my brain ran to the right side of my skull mm -hmm. and then bounced back so yes contra coup is what my brain experienced <laughs> Which is why it was damaged on the right side. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So anyway, summarize my response is A, I would like the world to 
be unified, working toward a better version of its own existence, and B, I would personally like to evolve and work toward a better, better version of myself, a more skilled version of myself, rather. Because now that I've regained my capacity for basic things, I'm inspired to do it even better than before. So I just picked up contact staff, which is really, really effing hard for all those that are not interacting with any sort of low prop. Flow props are all pretty difficult. Con contact staff is probably the hardest I've ever tried to learn. What is contact staff? I mean, you're using a staff, but you're using it in a way where it's making contact with your body at pretty much all times. Oh, so you're not gripping it, but it's like rolling on you. Yes. I see. Yeah, I've seen that a couple of times, and that is always very impressive to watch. It's really, really hard to learn. <laughs> I'm sure. Yeah, so I just picked that up because I really would like to be skilled and stuff. And I now feel like I have the motivation to do it. Before, I just felt like I was naturally flowy, so I didn't have to work. But now I have to work just to get my flow back. So I'm going to work harder mm -hmm. to get my new skills going. And mm -hmm. also, Poi. I don't know who's seen Poi or if you guys know what I'm talking about. But Poi is like little, two little circular spheres on ropes that you spin. And you can do it really, really well and impressively. You can even do three if you wanted to. I know somebody who's like really, really up and good with three of them. I can't even really do planes that well with um boy. And I never learned boy before my accident, so I'm gonna learn it this time and it's gonna be start starting all over. For both of those props, I'm just starting at ground zero. And I'm starting at ground zero whether or not I was in the accident. Because before if I started them, it would have been ground zero. And now I've had the accident, and I really want to learn those things. So I'm technically learning them back to ground zero anyway. <laughs> so I might be mad at my arm, my left arm, for not being able to hold the plane right. But, I mean, before it probably would have been a little easier. But, I mean, I'll just, just start where I'm at right now and learn everything from the beginning. Mm -hmm. mm. And... Uh... I'm struck with this idea of uh, of like it's just like one person can start a change that will ripple throughout the world, and uh, even even on a more fundamental level, it's you are uh, the a one person that is changing your own world by the way that you interact with it, by the way that you are able to interact with your own body to then interact with the world. Like there, there, I don't know, there's something, there's something even like going even more meta and deeper into it where if you, um, as, as a person who can change your own body, your own world, your own literal experience of the world, you change the world and using that momentum to then spill it out further to then your community to the people around you to uh the the world at large like it just you have to it it literally has to start within you uh before it can get anywhere out of there right well i would say that i would agree with that first of all 
second, I feel like I was inspiring people before the accident, and now I'm becoming a phoenix, and I'm inspiring them in a whole new way. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I feel like that will inspire others mm-hmm. to realize that, you know, life isn't that bad. You just got to work and do your shit like you're supposed to. I mean, you know, if I can do it, then anybody can do it. Mm-hmm. So I just really want to resonate that message out and get across the concept that you can do anything. You just have to do your part and work for it and you could do anything. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you really you really got to earn the skills. Maybe sometimes twice, but you really got to earn the skills. Exactly. And um what uh What is there anything else that you want before you die? Uh, well, I just would like to inspire people to believe in themselves and, you know, to, to actually give a shit about their, their, their process and their life in general. Definitely something to be grateful for because it can get taken away at any moment. Yeah, and you you really know that in a way that is different than most, I think. And I want to know, like, how does how does having that, like, oh, I'm just driving home from a friend's place to this. Uh, how does how does that inform the way that you go through the world different? Like, how do you go through the world differently? Is it do you literally express gratitude more often? Do you tell people that you love them? Like, how do you how does how has this changed? Uh, knowing how quickly things can change. <clears throat> well, things can change really, really quick quickly. And so, <clears throat> I do appreciate everything a lot more, and I appreciate skills and seeing those skills a lot more and I am more adamant about expressing your true feelings to people in all sorts of circumstances especially those positive feelings that you have toward other people because they might never know if you just you know died today So if there's something you want to say to someone, just just fucking say it. <laughs> Get it off your chest. Release, you know, the pent-up energy you have about it. Or even if it's a grudge, just release the grudge. Communicate, you know? Mm. And I want to take that, that response that you just gave and ask you, um, about the the man that caused the accident is how do you how has your relationship to him changed and i'm i don't even know if you had ever really talked to him or if you want to or if you will um but i want to understand um with with that in mind how how what what's been going on well i don't really know what's been going on with him because i never talked to him But I honestly, you know, I just, I don't think I'll ever be able to tell him that he, like, totally turned my life around and around. But, you know, I hope that, like, somewhere in there he uh, 
can feel it. And um, I mean, maybe he'll just have a really good rest of his life. Maybe not. I don't really feel like it's my place to determine how his life experience is going to continue. But I know he's definitely changed his mind and it's going to be, world better watch out for me. <laughs> do you, do you feel like you, it's possible to forgive him? I mean, probably when I am back in the spot that I was before, I can have some forgiveness. I mean, it's not that I don't forgive him, but I don't. I mean, you know, it's his. His, his mistake. I think he probably just didn't have the reflexes to stop his car in time. So I don't, I don't think that it's technically his fault. But I mean, come on, if you're 92, you should not be effing driving. Hmm. <clears throat> Is there, is there a level of, um, is there anything like with, with, with having known how short life can be, um, mm -hmm. is there, are there any like sort of bucket list items or are they primarily uh, the, like you reclaiming your body again? Um, I mean, <clears throat> I feel like I had a bucket list before. I don't know what was on it. I guess I'd have to make a new one. <laughs> but I mean, I'm down to make a new one. Bucket list of all the, the shit I want to do. How do you finish the next prompt, when I die, I want? Well, when I die, I would like to have inspired people that knew me to be the phoenix version of themselves per se without the actual process but i mean yeah i just would like to impact people in the way that they believe in themselves and they say i can do it mm. is that a is that something that you want them to remember you for is that something that um as you die you sort of see uh, you can kind of imagine and see all of the people that you have touched. I mean, I guess both. I want to be aware that I did that for some people. Mm -hmm. But I also want people to realize that I did that so they can technically do it. I see. And is there is there like a number... Like how how many people do you want to have inspired to become their own phoenix? Like, uh, is there do you can like because I think conceivably you could have already done that. Like you could you could go out today uh, and that would 
I think you would have already have done enough to have inspired a, a good chunk of people uh, with the, the story of your life so far. Um, how, how much further do you want to spread this message? I mean, for all those people that don't believe it or don't know it, mm. hope that my experience in some way can show them that they can do it. Is there anything else that you want when you die? Have you considered what you want the moment of your death to look like, to feel like? Um, well, I would like for it to be peaceful, not just car accident that kills me. You know, something more calm, just like a voluntary choice to go forward into the whatever reality lays, lies beyond this third dimensional earth reality. Mm-hmm. I would like to gracefully walk forth into it, wearing a white gown that I visited people in their dreams with. <laughs> and wings. I would like wings. Yeah, they would look very, uh, wings look good on you. Thank you. <laughs> Have you, I mean, do you, do you, do you feel like you had, um, like a, do have you like throughout the whole last few months, um, have you had like the classic near death experience, or has it just been a slow re reclamation of your body? Um, and, and what I mean is like, did you have a moment, or did you ever have that like, oh wow, I really almost died, and I saw like things change, and I have a wildly different perspective as a result of that, like that brush or has it just been uh waking up and realizing how close you had come and being grateful for what you have right um well i don't think that i really had like a near-death experience moment i mean i definitely had near death <laughs> but i don't really think that experience of I'm trying to think of the word starts with an R. Like a revelation? Yeah, revelation. That's what I was looking for. I don't think I had a moment of revelation like when I almost died. It's definitely been more like a slow. It was like everything just, I mean, I don't remember the moment that everything went black. Because like I said, my memory is spotty before a few days before the accident. Mm -hmm. I don't remember Monday and Tuesday at all. And um, yeah, Wednesday, I don't remember the morning of it. I said friend that told me I was at her house. I didn't even remember being at her house, I don't think. Mm. So I was told that I was at somebody's house. I was supposed to hang out with people like throughout the day. But they again, they told me that. I don't remember setting up those plans or reaching those plans. It was just like everything was just black. Mm. And my memory or lack thereof was just black. <laughs> So it's definitely been more like a reclamation of my memory and body and awareness of the experience. Mm. Is there anything else you want when you die? 
I don't think there's anything else. And also, I told my mom at some point that I have a revelation from Gaia, like the Earth. But I don't remember what that revelation was, unfortunately. <laughs> but the Earth came to me as its own embodied version of itself. It told me something, but I don't remember what it was, unfortunately. Mm. Like, I wish I could have, and I wish I could have remembered walking in people's dreams and experiencing the dreams with them or seeing myself in that way. But I've just had people tell me that I was in their dream. Yeah, those uh, those higher level experiences tend to fade, and uh, you get, come back to Earth, and you're like, "Oh, uh, what happened?" <laughs> <laughs> yeah, pretty much. <laughs> so, um, how do you finish the final prompt after I die? I want. Well, after I die, I would like people to be influenced by my story and um, have some impact on individual souls in, the, in this way. And after I die, I would also like for the earth to be kind of revived, kind of like how I experienced my, my life up until this point. Like, I think I'm doing good. Okay, I think I'm doing good. I think I'm doing well. And then everything just gets taken away in a moment. And then I'm coming back, being stronger, getting more skills, doing my thing. So, I mean, I hope that the earth continues doing well. I don't want it to have an experience. I like, we want it to continue considering a higher level of what it is now. And I would also like for people, like I said, to be inspired by my story, but also to like, like call upon my story in moments of doubt and <clears throat> disbelief in themselves. So yeah, I just you know I would I really want to my have my story continue to inspire people after I pass on to the next realm that awaits us that awaits every one of us really. And I also would like for the Earth to transcend its current state. Do you, has this experience changed your idea of what uh, the experience of, af of what comes after life will be? Well, I've never really had an idea about what after this life will be. It's kind of just a mystery to me. And um, it's still just a mystery. I don't think it's just like everything goes black and it stays black. I think there's like some kind of awakening that your soul experiences after you leave this realm. I mean, I'm not sure what it is. I'm just pretty certain that it will be like how I came back from my near death, almost death experience. 
I think you'll just kind of start waking up as a new version mm. of yourself. I don't know what specifically. Mm. Yeah, and uh, are you, are you, like, how do you envision the future? Do you, do you see those, do you think that those changes are going to happen? Are you hopeful that the changes are going to happen? Um, like, uh, are, are you wishing that the changes are happening? Like, well, where, where do you lie on that spectrum? Well, I am currently hoping that, that we're making moves toward doing those things. And I think, I, I actually am certain, I certainly believe that we'll get there. I don't know how long it'll take or under what circumstances. I definitely think some circumstances will cause or result in that to be successful at some point. It might be like 10 years from now, 100 years from now, 500 years from now, 20,000 years from now. Hopefully not that long because I feel like human humanity would like kill itself before, not on purpose, on accident. Mm-hmm. As a result of their previous actions that have like wronged Mother Earth and stuff. I'm just hoping and believing that we will be able to surpass our previous mistakes and overcome that much like I've overcome this traumatic accident. <clears throat> I think that's a, that's a good little spot. Um, and uh, I just want to thank you. Um, I know that this has been a conversation we've been trying to schedule for a really long time. And uh, I'm really glad that we were able to have this follow-up and just sort of check in on you, see how things are going. Um, and I want to give you the floor to address the audience directly, uh, to say any parting words uh, to whoever's listening uh, and whoever might be inspired by your story. Cool, thanks. I'm really glad we got to make this happen also. To all those people out there that are hearing it or going going to hear it rather, because I don't think it's a live thing. So to all the people that are going to hear this follow-up interview, I'd like to thank you for listening to it and hopefully you listen to the first one too. If you haven't, you should go listen to the first one and then listen to this one or maybe not in that order, whatever. And I hope that you are inspired by my story. Obviously, I said that I really hope people are inspired. And um, yeah, I just want to thank you all for doing your thing and living and existing. I truly hope that maybe today or tomorrow you decide to be the better version of yourself and make the best choices. And um, make the choices that benefit the greater whole, not just yourself. So yeah, just, you know, make better choices basically feel better do good things give to somebody tell somebody you love them tell them your feels 
pursue, you know, happiness. Remember that today or tomorrow might be your last day. You don't really know. And, um, you know, may Gaia, Mother Gaia, just, you know, bless your experience on this earth. And thank you, Eugene, for doing a follow-up interview. I feel like it's pretty important because the previous interview was like when I was in my max optimum skill level and thinking the most clearly. So it's good to go back to it and to reevaluate how I'm feeling. Ground zero, the bottom, the bottom of the bottom and to hear about how it feels to have been at the bottom and what I would like to do and accomplish and know that I'm determined to do so because I'm a phoenix now. So world, you better, re- you better be ready. <laughs> Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Alana, thank you so much. Thank you. This has been Alana Karma on death again. Hello, I'm Eugene Kim, and I welcome you to On Death, the podcast where we talk about death through the four prompts. I am, before I die, I want, when I die, I want, and after I die, I want. This week, we sit down with Alana Karma. Alana is a 21-year-old artist, student, and performer. I met Alana through the Sacred Floats and Gems Nebulous, which brought Kenny Henderson and Jared Roa, previous guests, to the podcast. Her canvases include skin, both inked and painted, fire, and aerial silks. In this heady conversation, we discuss her Mohawk heritage, Wiccan upbringing, and the sacred fire. I hope you enjoy. Before we talk more about Alana, I just want to bring up the Longform Sundays post. These are reflections that I've been posting as us alongside the podcast. So if you're on iTunes or your favorite podcasting app, you can find these at mnmwod.com, M-N-M-W-O-D dot C-O-M, Mobility and Mindfulness Work of the Day. On... April 16th, I published Unnecessary Atrophy, or Eight Days to Step 1. This week, I reflect on inactivity, injuries, and guacamole. Step prep has left me feeling quite sedentary and wishing for more movement, just like the good old days. And then this week, I posted On Delaying the Inevitable, or 18 Days to Step 1. This week, I reflect on postponing my Step 1 test date and packing up my life in Tampa. Instead of stressing out about an impending exam, I'm able to enjoy my final seven days in Florida while making boxes and filling them up. And that's basically where I'm at today. I, um, I'm at my partner's uh, old house, uh, Gadsden. Uh, there's a cat nearby, kind of roaming around, being all cat-like. Uh, you can probably hear the birds in the background. And uh, start, I'm moving out moving out of Tampa on Sunday so that I was able to get Alana in for an interview on uh, this is Wednesday right now so really right before posting this and right before leaving uh, she's uh, 
I met her, as I mentioned, at uh, through the Sacred Floats and Gems folks, uh, more specifically at the tattoo shop across the street, Visionary Inc. And uh, that's where Kenny also uh, inked up my back. It was really, really cool. Anyway, Alana, uh, very... Uh, she she was she struck me because she was uh, she was sort of floating around while, while Kenny and I were talking about the, our, my tattoo, uh, and she struck me as someone really interesting uh, on social media. I follow her, and she does lots of lots of really cool silk stuff, um, aerial silks as well as fire uh, fire performing, and uh, a lot of body body paint art. And it's really, really cool stuff. And so I was like, oh, she'll be a really cool person to get in contact with. And uh, we get her on the on the podcast. And I really enjoyed this conversation. And it was, um, we talk about a lot of <laughs> wacky, crazy, fun stuff in the most best way. And uh, normally, you know, from these conversations, we tend to talk a lot about the, like, the deeply personal um, experiences with death. And uh, with this conversation, I had just so much fun talking about ideas and and uh, concepts, and uh, I think that comes through in the conversation. We talk a lot about really, really uh, some really, really cool things and ideas and observations, um, and I think that you will grow to like Alana as well through this through this discussion. So you can find her um, on all sorts of social media. Um, I'll put that in the show notes for you to be able to contact her, as well as uh, we'll be throwing up her uh, her thesis in which she talks about um, her art and uh, the fifth dimension. So I hope that you have uh, started boiling your tea, uh, boiling your water for your tea, and already ground up your coffee beans, and you are ready for a lovely, lovely stroll through the four prompts with Alana Karma on death. It is April 26th, 2017. I'm sitting here in my Tampa apartment with Alana, and we're going to be talking about death through the four prompts. Alana, what are the four prompts? Alrighty. The four prompts, as I recall, are I am, before I die, I want, when I die, I want, and after I die, I want. (laughs) Excellent. Perfectly well done. Uh, How do you finish that first prompt, I am? I am. Okay. I guess I would describe myself. I am as... I am living as a hyperdimensional being of consciousness on an earthly reality. Let's break that down. <laughs> what, okay, what what does what is what is a hyperdimensional consciousness? Okay, I would say what I mean by that is trying to exist at a frequency where conscious awareness of oneself is like shifting one's evolution in a way that is like consciously aware and creative is is why is that intention important to you i feel like setting an intention for yourself of being aware of like what you would like to evolve into and how you want to evolve and what you want to create as you're evolving makes all the difference it's like when you do something when you set an intention in advance of it and you place that as like where your focus and where your energy is directed, then energy flows in that way. It's like conscious manifestation versus just kind of like reacting to the environment or like evolving Mm -hmm. based only on like the things that happen to you. It's like living in a hyperdimensional frequency or creating the things that are happening to you in a way. Because it's it's sort of like navigating 
like if you know that if like I'm standing in a parking lot and I know that tree is north, but then I get turned around, I move, and then I look around, I look for that tree. It's no long, it might not no longer be pointing at true north, but you want something that is more that is deeper and further away and less less able to be jiggered around by your own movements, by your own uh, path, so that you want like the north star to be your north, and and that and by finding what you want to do as 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 your as your intention. You want it to be a deep intention that you can always kind of align with you rather than come back to you. rather than like, I want to just, I want to make banana. Like I want to like, you know, like cook or, you know, it's like that, that like you want to make like a, a, like if you're, if you're a cook, you want to make like a food experience for people that kind of like. Right. I feel like there is like an aspect of like feedback that's happening too, you know? So when a person's setting an intention of something, you know, the universe will do what it can to make it happen. But there's, you know, like there's pieces along the way that the universe manifests for you, depending on how what you put out. You know what I mean? So it's like you are putting something out, the universe responds to you, and you have to respond to it. So it's like you're never really totally 100% in control of like the manifestations. If you are not consciously keeping your intention, you know, so like that intention is like, yeah, like the North Star. It's like keeping you going in the right direction, even though you have to wind through all these like, different pathways and journeys and mountains and rivers and craziness and, you know, like random third dimensional reality elements as you're going forth, you know, you still are moving forward toward that point. And uh, what, what difficulties have you experienced along the way as, as this hyperdimensional being? I guess coming to understand it and constantly readjusting my perspective of what that means you know because it's like I don't know everything I don't know what I'm I don't know what's going to happen or what exactly what path I'm going to go down it's just a constantly evolving journey of like reflection feedback and like taking a look at oneself and trying to figure out what it is that's like what it is that's guiding you and you know in the new direction so if something isn't going in the direction that I'm visualizing or what I manifest, you know, like, why isn't that happening? And what is it about myself? What is my frequency doing that isn't, isn't aligned properly with that dream or that manifestation? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And what, what about that? I, I find that last little bit of, of that response very interesting the, 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 on this earthly realm. Why do you, why do you say earthly realm versus this earth or this, or this planet or uh, in this reality? Well, I guess I feel like, this earth realm is one of infinite for sure. And because of the fact that it's a 3d realm, I feel like this is the way that we're perceiving it, but there's more frequencies to it that are not, that are not necessarily limited to earth. So we're sitting in like an earthly 3d tangible reality and simultaneous to that physical reality. There's other frequencies that are not limited to earth. So for example, like, energy of the universe you know it's like our energy of Gaia like there's there's Gaia mother earth energy but there's also like universal energy that Gaia is connected to so the realm that's existing on Gaia is the one that we're present in and what I'm like harmonizing with but at the same time it's connected to like this multifaceted many multi-dimensional layers like it's like we're like almost like we're in as as these like 
mostly hairless apes. We are privy to only a small, small uh, spectrum, like a very narrow slice of what is really going on all around us. Right. Like, there's like, when you look at somebody's facial expression, for example, you see their facial expression, but it has another layer to it. You know what I mean? It's not just a physical facial expression. It means something. Mm -hmm. So everything has like an energy signature and those layers, while intangible to our physical senses, are still present and still there and happening simultaneously to the earthly realm that we're in. So if you can be aware of the fact that we're in an earthly realm, but you can tap into these other frequencies, then that's when you're functioning like on a hyperdimensional level because then you're using these other dimensional layers to manifest in the earthly reality. Did you have a religious or spiritual upbringing to your childhood? I did. Um, for the most part, below the age of like seven, I didn't really have any conscious like guidance as far as spirituality. And then after my parents got divorced, uh, my mom focused a bit more on the teachings that she wanted to share with us. And I come from, on my mother's side, a Native American heritage. So my grandmother is full uh, Mohawk of the Iroquois Nation. Mm -hmm. And that is like located in like Northeast U.S., like Southeast Canada, um, near the Great Lakes. Um, basically, like the Iroquois Nation breaks down into six different tribes. Um, that had been warring, and they decided to like unite each, unite together, and mm -hmm. that became the six, you know the great Six Nations of Iroquois, and one of them is the Mohawk tribe. Mm -hmm. So that's the tribe that we come from, and then there's clans within each tribe. So we're the Turtle Clan within that tribe, mm -hmm. and essentially, um, so my grandmother and my great aunts and all of them have like a you know more direct culture, and then you know past whatever knowledge came to my mother onto her, um, from my grandmother to my mother. And then my mother has been teaching us things along the way. And around that age is when she also brought into our awareness um, Wicca, and, which is a branch of pagan. So essentially what that is is a nature-based religion um, that involves like the elements and Mother Gaia essentially is like our ultimate um, mm -hmm. like, item of appreciation. A consciousness of appreciation, you know? Not really an item, Earth is an item. <laughs> <laughs> uh, object of appreciation. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. At the core is Mother Gaia and then the elements that go along with that. So Wicca has been like a strong influence on um, my previous understanding of the world. And then once I got into college, I discovered a lot more and kind of started actively becoming involved in my own spirituality versus just like having a passive teaching of, of information. Mm -hmm. And what, let's, I'll, I'll say that for a second. So, so what, what do you feel, like, how do you feel about that, that, um, native, that, that like, sort it's also, because it's, it's also tough because it sounds like it was given to you almost like third, second hand. Yeah. Um, what, definitely. how, how was that sort of imprinting or that base layer? Um, and how does, how do you, how do you relate to that now? Okay. I would say there's definitely, like, a severe disconnect between me and the, the culture directly. Uh, a lot of my family members before my generation lived on reservations mm. um, for at least, like, some period of time, if they, you know, if not, like, their whole lives. Um, so there's, like, a lack of connected a connectivity. Um, I also wasn't always around my mom's family in, like, deep ways like you know there's mm -hmm. there's like an element to community 
and like Native American culture where, you know, like the community grows together and like the family is like stays together. And um, I don't really feel like that was continued on um, and connected with my generation. Uh, my mom, uh, we ended up moving across the country for my early childhood and stuff like that. So I didn't really like grow up in the context of that heritage. Mm-hmm. Um, so I am receiving the knowledge like not directly. And a lot of it I am having to like discover on my own over time and like through research and stuff like that. But the baseline of it essentially, um, you know, like great spirit and being aware of the four elements and like our harmonious relationship with nature, I think is probably the primary core of like what that heritage means to me is like, we are functioning with Gaia, you know, we're not just independent entities, like taking resources, living off Gaia. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I remember hearing recently like this comment um, from a Lakota tribe member or chief, I can't recall saying like, if they still, you know, like, ruled the land that, like, you could drink out of any river on it. Mm. And, you know, it's just so true, um, coming from an awareness of, like, what that, what the relationship with Earth means to the Native culture and how, how connected with each other resources and the environment, how much that is, like, of value, you know, and I think that there's, I think that's, like, the most important aspect to me as far as, how I apply that, how I apply, how I translated that with like the pagan concepts, you know? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And it's, it's a very, um, it's so tough. Like, cause I, it's sort of like trying to learn a language through a book. Mm-hmm. Like you're, it, there's, there's like, you can learn the vocabulary and you can learn the proper ways to conjugate the verbs and the ways to construct the verb pronoun adjective all that kind of stuff and and it it will be correct but it it lacks that like living aspect to it where you know like you miss the the, oral tradition the oral tradition you miss you miss the way that people talk the cadence the the ways that they would tell stories Mm -hmm. and all of those and just that's just the language part oral storytelling is one of the most like primary core ways of like passing on that knowledge you know and not having that direct experience I feel like does have like a severe impact on how much I relate to the native culture Mm. um I do feel like a lot of my more like conscious awareness comes from uh the pagan and wiccan elements because I feel like we practice that more actively Mm -hmm. into like my early adulthood and such like through the process of doing ritual work and spells and magic and aligning things with like different phases of the moon and like how those phases have different like energy signatures that mean different things and how that relates to the spells that you're trying to cast and stuff like that. And at the time, like, I didn't really understand what it meant to, like, practice magic or what it meant to, like, do ritual work. And I think, you know, like, once I got into college and rediscovered, like, the spiritual aspects, you know, that's when I realized that all of that stuff is just energy. Mm -hmm. You know, it's energy manipulation. It's energy work. It's using different objects with different colors and different frequencies to harmonize your frequencies in a way that creates magic in your reality. Mm -hmm. And, and so I think that connection like came after the practicing of it. You know, mm-hmm. like the, and, and that the seems like a, a very, very common thing for a lot of people with their, with like, you know, they, they might've been born Catholic and they might've been raised Catholic, but they never really understood Catholicism until later in life when they've like had a right. chance to like separate and then come back to it. Or maybe they just need more life to like understand, like more deeply understand the practices that are really going on. Totally. What, Tell me a little bit more about uh, your relationship with paganism and, and, and Wicca, Wicca in general, because uh, it is something that is, I think, very poorly understood in, in like, 
contemporary culture. And it is such, it, it's, it was the basis of almost, I mean, not, not necessarily Wicca, but those, those earth-based ideas mm-hmm. were basically the fun foundation and fundamental concept of most um, indigenous religions or, or spiritual practices is just not, you know, like not necessarily a, a God above, but the earth around us and below, like with, within us. For sure. I definitely feel like there is like a rawness and a primitivity to it that is undeniable. You know, I'm not saying you have to agree with it. I'm mm-hmm. just saying for me personally, like, like I've never felt like unconnected from it or like as if it was like wrong, mm-hmm. you know, or as if I didn't feel like it made sense. Like, when my mom taught me these concepts when I was younger, I was just like, oh, well, I mean, of course that makes sense. Like, of course trees have spirits and souls and mm-hmm. everything mm-hmm. has life around us, you know, so why would it not have, you know, like, consciousness? So I feel like there is definitely, like, this, like, core raw base to it where there's less confusing things that are happening. There's less, like, translations of, you know, like, what person did this or what God did this to, mm-hmm. you know, like, have this sort of, like, meaning or story that goes along with it you know because different branches of paganism have different you know like focuses and there's so many like gods and goddesses and deities within the within the concepts you know um so it's it's like hard because everybody practices a certain way you know Mm -hmm. like a different everybody Mm -hmm. has different knowledge there's no like there's no i feel like solid common core knowledge except for the fact that like Mother Gaia and the elements and all the energies and angels that are associated with those are present and and um, worth worshiping and valuing and putting energy toward. It's a it's a very um, it's a weird it's a very interesting because it's it's something that that like those earth based religions um, they're so um, like you said prim- primitive and primal and. Um, when you talk about the desert religions of Judaism, Christianity, and Islam, they come from like such a small area and they've expanded out to the rest of the world. So you'll get like little Filipino people that are like super Catholic and it's not like it's wrong, but it's, it's, it's like, a it's like they're, they're those people practiced a very different religion, very different spiritual practice, like a hundred, 200, 300 years ago. Yeah. And to have like it was almost overlaid on them um and and the these like very prim like these very primal practices are so there's something there's something about them because it's like everyone you don't need to go to a church to go and practice right you don't need the filter to connect with your you know like your spiritual belief or your spiritual practice or your deity you know it's all around you all the time you go outside and you earth you walk around in the on the earth you know that's like it's called earthing and it Mm -hmm. it takes the energy from your feet and like it basically earth like harmonizes like the negative the negative energy that's coming out of your feet so like that connection allows it to like flow and basically like Gaia can charge you and um you know just simple things like that it's like you don't need like a priest to tell you that you can you know harmonize with mother nature and i think one of the biggest things about where people get confused about what wicca means and what paganism is like about mm-hmm. comes from like the pentagram symbol and the way that the pentacle is like misinterpreted and essentially, you know, like the five-pointed star with the circle around it, people get confused by it. They think it means, like, Satanism. But essentially, there's, like, a core difference with with the pentagram when it's upright and the point is at the top. It's indicative of, like, the elements and Wicca and paganism versus 
when it's upside down and the points at the bottom, there's two points at the top, and those two points at the top indicate, like, you know, Satan's horns or whatever, and it's more of, like, a hedonistic belief system. And as far as the Wicca goes, you know, when you look at the pentagram, the top point is equivalent to ether or spirit, and then the next point to the right is the the point of east, which is air, and then the next one is fire, which is equivalent to south. Each each element has like associated colors, associated um, directions, and archangels and such. And then um, after fire is west for water, mm-hmm. and then the next one is earth for north. And then again, the top point is ether. And then the whole circle is essentially like the circle of life, the divine, you know, connection between everything. We are all one concept. And so, it's it's like that that association between that 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 those uh, five pointed stars encircled um, is almost like the difference. It's almost it's like so, such a lay person confusion between like the Nazi um, swastika and, and the, the, the Buddhist symbol. Yeah, the Buddhist symbol, and it's very they're like to the lay person they are very they're the same and almost probably like, like it's just like there there's like a layer of like just like man guys it's ignorance just it's like just ignorance. learn a little bit and it's uh that that is a very. It's a very interesting thing. Like, how much of that was almost intentional by... Oh, yeah, I think know? that's true, though. Like, I think a lot of it was intentional to kind of, like, blur out the meaning so that people were afraid of it. People mm-hmm. wanted to practice something more formal, like Catholicism or, you know, Roman you know, Catholic and Christianity and all of those things. I feel like over time, you know, there's been certain things that have been put into place to, like, push people away from that the belief system that connects them with their planet, mm-hmm. you know? And when you, when you talk about... Um, like the um, the Inquisition and and what a just a burning of the knowledge and the wisdom and and like sacred knowledge sac- you know, like, like sacred passed through generate like untold generations uh, from uh, grandmother to granddaughter like that kind of like deep power was just burnt away in in like a in just like such a short amount of time and 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 to and then to try to like regain that knowledge and or just to try like, to remember try to seek it out like the history and mm-hmm. there's so few people with like any sort of like true idea of like mm-hmm. the, the the magnitude of the kind of information and like history that was like present in like a larger percentage of like the population's consciousness than there is now it's like we're in such like this desolate age of because With the plants the aren't even the same. Yeah. Like, the, the landscape isn't even the same. The people that are there are not, are totally different breeds of human that have, like, mm-hmm. rejiggered and moved around. So that, like, even if it, you had, like, a true Wicca from three, four hundred years ago come here now, it's like, you wouldn't, you'd be totally different humans. Like, you couldn't communicate with them. Like, even if you spoke the same language, it would just be, like, totally different person. Mm-hmm. And there's a, there's a, there's a tragedy to that. But there's also something very, um, very... I don't like very interesting and, and, and beautiful about retaining right. that. Divinely, I think it's divinely aligned in a way because basically the realm that we're living in, you know, is characterized by this like constant duality, you know, like male and female, good and bad, dark and light, like all of those things are parallels. You know, you can't recognize the good without having the bad. People are aware of that, you know, like without contrast, it's hard for people to like live in a state of bliss because they don't know what it feels like if there's like only neutrality. Mm-hmm. And I think the conundrum of like what our society is trying to figure out is how do we take this duality and harmonize it into unity instead of letting it tear us apart and destroy both halves. Mm. And 
And what what do you feel like? So you have that mohawk like base layer, like like sort of like foundation, and then and then you, the true practice, uh, uh, like strong practices of of Wicca and paganism. Uh, what do you, what are your spiritual practices now? That's a good question. I would say that I don't identify as any particular belief system, just because I feel like there's so much knowledge to be sought out. And honestly, like all ancient sacred knowledge, I think is like, you know, you know, fair game at this point, because it's like, it doesn't really matter. Like what specific belief system you follow. I think as much as it matters, like how much you (coughs) apply the ancient, like sacred knowledge and how, how do you bring that into your reality? And like, what, you know, is it, is it contributing to the unified consciousness of earth? Or is it just, um, you know, something that you're telling yourself so that, you know, your reality is, like, going to be okay? Mm-hmm. What are some of those practices that you that you do continue now? Okay, I think the most, like, prominent thing that I'd like to talk about in this context um, is, like, the knowledge of the sacred fire. Um, when I was practicing Wicca as a child, this concept wasn't really something that I thought about as deeply as I have in the past year or so. Um, basically, you know, each element has like this energy to it and like this unique signature of like what it is and fire. I feel like I do connect with, um, very significantly. I'm a Sagittarius. So Mm. like my, my side, my, I'm a fire sign. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So that helps. Um, and then I do a lot of fire spinning and fire performance art. Mm. And, um, you know, like an idea that my partner has like really brought to my awareness, um, during like, our our fire practices together you know over time is like this concept that like the sacred fire you know has like it is core creative energy you know when you're looking at this you know and then like the chakra system you know is technically um you know buddhist but not not pagan you know but i still i still believe that the chakra system is applicable so in your chakra system your second chakra which is the sacral chakra is related to like sexual and creative energy and um, the sacred fire, you know, like draws a root in this chakra um, with the color orange. And your creative energy is essentially like manifested and strengthened by the sacred fire. So the sacred fire like ignites your heart passion and it ignites like your capacity to like burn away the things that no longer serve you and to rebuild the things with light that you mm-hmm. do want to create. So, you know, like I identify with the phoenix a lot. Um, since January, I feel like that has been, like, one of the spirit animals that has been just, like, embodied <laughs> mm-hmm, in my consciousness. And, like, the phoenix, you know, it, like, it burns away and, and then it rises from its own ashes. You know, I feel like the concept of the sacred fire is, like, one of the same where, you know, like, you rise from the... I'm actually wearing this around my neck today. Um, this is a little jar with the coals from my first fire walk. Oh. So it's kind of like the phoenix concept, you know, you like, you... you walk through the fire and you rise stronger than you were before. And I think something about fire performance that um, a lot of fire performers and fire spinners and fire dancers are not aware of is really like how, how deeply that connection with the sacred fire is like affecting them and like what it's doing to their consciousness. You know, like a lot of people before they do flow arts or before they spin fire, you know, a lot of times they feel like they don't have a particular thing that they connect with or they don't have, like, a passion that they want to follow or maybe they do, but it's not related to, um, you know, the, um, the fire at all. And, like, that fire sparks, 
you know, something within you that, like, changes you. You know, when you learn to dance with fire, you're learning to dance with, like, your spirit energy and, like, your Mm -hmm. creative capacity and, like, your ability to, like, flow and manipulate this, like, sacred fire that, you know, a lot of people have forgotten that it's, like, what started us out on this journey of, like, technological innovation and, you know, creativity. You know, without the fire, we're... You know, where would we be at right now? We'd be any other creature on the planet that's just like living out of the resources and within the circle of life, but not creating from the circle of life. You know, that sacred fire is the element that starts and sparks creation mm. and like conscious creation. There's a it's it's like if you look at technology like in terms of like electronics, like the the ability to control electrical energy is like a very extremely refined version of that fire like it is like an incredible it's an evolution of it it is it's a frequency change basically like the fire is like the core primitive earthly element and as that move you know like as that changes to a higher frequency it becomes like electromagnetic like you're mm-hmm. saying mm-hmm. so like these are higher versions evolved from fire when you think about the fact that electricity you, you know you plug your computer into the wall and you've got electricity well really that's coming from coal burning mm-hmm. which is still fire so the basis of it it, it changes like it's the core fire of burning the coal transitions into this higher frequency version of like translating that energy into this electromagnetic capacity for this computer to like function and i think that uh i agree like people they 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 generally especially in like cities have lost um a deep and inherent respect of fire absolutely because um you know, you can turn on your stove and you get heat. You can't, or or it like clicks and you get the butane and, and right. like a beautiful fire, like but beautiful fire. You're out in the wilderness and it's cold and you have, you know, nothing and all you want is some heat to cook your mm. food. And like that's when you really are remembering, like, oh yeah. This, this is, is great. Yeah, yeah this, this is a great this thing. This is why I can do all the things I can do. This is why I can live the way that I live because we just, you know, like we had fire gifted to us mm-hmm. and now, you know, we've learned to manipulate it in ways that have evolved past our or primitive capacity. Absolutely. And like like being able to create a fire from uh from like a lighter. Like it's it's like it's such an like I I such spent a gift. such a gift. Like and I don't and it's really hard like I try to remember that every time I use my lighter because I spent um at that primitive school school up in Maine, Maine primitive school school, um there was I spent like 20 minutes using a the circuit breaker pop. Anyway, <laughs> that was weird. Anyway, uh, I spent, we're talking about fire. Exactly, it's super weird. <laughs> it's uh, saying yes, yes. <laughs> no. And so I, I, I spent like twenty minutes using a bow drill to make a friction fire. Right. And it is such a beautiful experience to do that to make fire from friction and and or not you're not even making fire from the, you're making the coals from the friction and then you're using the coals to then give life to a fire and you're breathing life into the you're fire really like, you're giving your, your breath to bring that life it's a forth. totally different thing i felt like i was giving i literally gave birth to something i was like oh shit this is crazy <laughs> and it was such a beautiful thing and to to think of like that experience happening every time you turn on your stove or every time you use that lighter is right. such a it it changes it and and i and another thing like when you're talking about flow arts and, and especially like fire dancing and fire spinning is i i remember when i was in like high school I got like you know I, I I was really enamored by like um, by like the flow art of of, of like poi and like using glow sticks and like it is very a, be- a beautiful thing and uh, especially when to think of like it's an electri- it's a chemical reaction creating this light and and then like you know in the recent years they they a lot of people started going to LEDs and those sorts of things to sort of simulate that um, and so it's not like as as you know 
terrible for the environment to be creating all these glow sticks. But then very recently I saw my first uh, fire performance. Okay. And I was like, holy shit, this is what we're all chasing with this mm-hmm. stuff. And it's like, totally. like going back to the source of like someone's spinning the shit out of some fire. It's like, it's a totally, I was just like, oh, like we're, we're hunting for this feeling when we, when we are using these LEDs or these glow sticks, right. but like, this is it. Like, mm-hmm. this is truly, like, this is so primal and there's something so captivating oh, about watching a human just fucking just wiling out like to their, to their core with this huge thing lit on fire. It's like a different thing. For real. And definitely, I feel like I noticed that, like, people watching it also are experiencing that difference. You know, like, when we're doing events and, you know, if we're supposed to be blending, like, LED and fire or something, like, you know, people are watching LED. If they walk by it, they're like, okay, that's really cool. They stop for a little bit. They're kind of watching you, you know, like, Mm -hmm. interesting, you know. And then maybe, like, two minutes later, they're they're walking away, you know. Mm -hmm. And and with the fire, people are... They, they gather. They just flock to it. They're just like, what is that fire? Like, what is that person doing? How are they manipulating that like that? And then they stay there the whole time, like, until the set's done. Because, mm-hmm. you know, with LED, it's like, okay, like, they're trying to figure out what's happening, and they're processing it, and they're, like, identifying it, categorizing it in their brain, and then be like, okay, that's cool, and then they're, they're ready to walk away. With the fire, they're just completely enraptured, captivated, and they want to know, like, you know, they want to see the entire thing. So mm-hmm. they're like, they're not just going to walk away after they see you spin fire a little bit. They, they want to see the ending. They like want to keep seeing the next person spin. They want to see the next prop. There's a, definitely like a much more like fascination with it. And I think it is like that awareness, like that connected, that connectivity to like the element directly. And not to say that light is not an element because it definitely is. And it definitely is like its own like resonant frequency. But I think that there's something about fire that draws people because I feel like people know deep down that it's like what created us to be able to be capable of what we are now. Absolutely. It is a, yeah, I, well, I'm sure where this will come up again. Uh, so, so uh, we covered uh, that you are that first uh, finishing the prompt. I am uh, hyperdimensional consciousness uh, living on this earthly realm. Is that pretty that good? Is correct. Yes. Cool. Uh, what else are you in addition to that? Oh man. Let's see. Well, I would say additionally, like I'm an ever evolving student and, you know, a teacher as well. But primarily, like right now, I feel like I'm in a phase of my life where I'm still learning a lot. And like Mm -hmm. I'm not, you know, capable of like being a teacher in the way that um, I think I will someday. What are you a like what are you what what do you consider a student? And then what are you a student of? Right. I mean, I would consider a student to be anybody that is consciously, like, absorbing knowledge and, like, applying it to to learn and expand their foundation of, like, their understanding of this, you know, reality and what it means on another existential level. And so then what are you a student of? <laughs> valid, valid question. <laughs> <laughs> I, I feel like a student of many things, for sure. Um, you know, like, each day is, like, a learning experience. Like, I'm constantly trying to um, learn from the way that what my energy is projecting outward and, like, how that how that manifests things in my reality. You know, I think that's one of the biggest things I'm trying to be aware of is, like, what energy that, like, the energy that I'm projecting, what kind of impact does it have, like, on the environment around me, on my manifestations, like, on the dynamics and the way that I interact with people. Um I would say I'm a student of art. Absolutely. I definitely consider myself to be an artist. 
um, a student of, I mean, spirituality, just constant, you know, openness to learning new ideas and concepts, and I do like a lot of reading from different books to try to get different perspectives on, you know, various things from different authors. Mm-hmm. And let me think of one more thing. I am a student of history in the way that I'm trying to cultivate a better future. Mm. What, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll hit that later. Don't worry. Um, so you are a hyperdimensional being living on this earthly realm. You are a student, um, an ever evolving student and someday a teacher. <laughs> and someday a teacher. Uh, do you know what you would want to teach and how you'd want to teach? I guess I feel like, the time for teaching will manifest itself to me and I feel like it won't be necessarily like a direct shift you know I think it I think at some point like the proportion of like learning and teaching will just change sometime mm-hmm. during my life you know mm-hmm. like right now it's like primarily absorbing and learning and observing things and trying to adapt them into me and I think you know maybe like later on I don't know I would like to live to be like 111 so maybe someday closer to that time frame that that will shift you know you always learn there's no there's no ending for that but you know i feel like at some point then i'll be able to like pass on the information that i've absorbed and try to like make it easier for the next like round of humanoids to uh you know have some sort of idea what's going on you know i think that there's going to be a really massive shift within the next few years as far as like how our entire earth functions and how like people relate to each other, how, you know, like the power, how the power will shift. I think Mm -hmm. that, I think that Gaia is going to like take back her power and uh, bring in a new age, you know. It's a very odd time of transition. Like no matter who, no matter what side you are on, on any subject, you have to admit like this is a time of great like upheaval and change. Yeah. It's revolutionary. It's very weird. And it's like happening slowly, but like not slowly. It's at the so same time. it's so like it's subtle to the people who aren't paying attention to it. But I feel like it's like very present if you're like watching carefully. Mm-hmm. You know, like there's I mean I get, you know, like I'm not talking about politics and stuff like that. You know, I'm talking about yes, but no. <laughs> <laughs> like I, this is like this is something more deeper than it's, politics. Yeah, it's deeper than politics. Politics is just an effect of it. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like I remember one experience that I have, I feel like is really significant. Um, There was a music festival called Connection Mm -hmm. and I went there for the past two years. And the first year that I went, it was definitely like the most life-changing weekend I feel like I've ever had. And one of the most like significant things that I recall, um, I'm not going to share the full story just because it's like really long detailed. People (laughs) probably think I'm crazy for it, but I'll I'll share the piece that I feel like is valid to this conversation. Mm -hmm. Um, Essentially, like, I feel like I was, I was in this like decompression chamber, which was like a teepee essentially outside of um, a sweat lodge, which has a sacred fire. So there's like a sacred fire, which is connected to the sweat lodge. And then the sweat lodge is like a native American tradition. um, You know, also referred to as like the Buffalo breath. Where basically, like, you go in and you you purify, not just, like, your body, but, like, the conversation, the singing, the experience, like, it just, like, mm-hmm. it's, like, a ritual that is, like, unparalleled in its, in its like, affluency and, like, an impact, you know, it's just, it's, it's mind-bogglingly, insanely amazing. <laughs> but um, the, the TP chamber, basically, I went in there, um, 
and you can go in before or after you go into the sweat lodge to kind of like shift your you know it's kind of like a transition zone mm-hmm. like if mm-hmm. this if the sweat lodge is like this like higher frequency realm and then outside sweat lodge is like you know the earthly realm the decompression chamber is kind of like that space in between sleeping and waking up where you're like okay I'm gonna go back into the space now mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so I was like in there and um I was meditating and praying with one of my with the friend that I came with and then also this other woman who I did not know but when I met her I just had this like feeling of like her like maternal guidance for me mm-hmm. so like, I feel like I know her in like a pe- previous life or like her energy signature had known mine in some other ex- environment she just felt so familiar and you know like we're all praying together meditating and um basically like the fairies like exposed themselves to us and like entered our portal and let us know that they were present and I had this like insanely like intense feeling of like meeting like my family almost like I felt like the fairies are partly my ancestry and basically what they told me in that experience was that they're existing and they're present constantly like right now all the time they're just existing on another frequency where they're not um, going to be negatively impacted by the damages that humans are causing to this reality right now, this mm-hmm. frequency, but that they're like embodying insects in the way that they're um, behind the scenes always present and like shifting things. You know, they're like weaving a web of energy on another layer around Gaia and within Gaia. And like this ancient energy, like these ancient beings of Gaia are still here now protecting us and like weaving this web of like transition and like I feel like that's only one piece of like the grid consciousness of Gaia like re-emerging and like re like blossoming you know Mm -hmm. and I feel like this the consciousness of those fae are like shifting things you know and like those are some of the things that I feel like are happening beyond like the political level that is like moving things onward into the future and you know these are like side effects of that Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. it is a I, I, I understand what you're saying. It is very weird. Like things are odd and it's really, it, it's like being tuned into the oddness of everything and the weirdness of it all is like, it's so much nicer than tuning it out. Right. For sure. <laughs> like you might as well, like we're living in this reality. It's kind of like bland, kind of shitty. Like, you know, you're driving around and you're like, this doesn't really, you know, like when you're in a city, it's not, it's not really that beautiful, you know, like mm. there's no nature. There's no like stunning architecture other than like sky high buildings that are like all windows and offices and whatever, you know, mm. and it's like, you know, like I have this vision of like how things could look and like what kind of like incredible, like divine, like astral cities we could be living in with like crystalline structures and mm. like we could be singing the trees into shapes, you know, like there's like that whole potential reality going on in my mind all the time. So like the contrast of like living in this one is like, mm. I don't know, something's got to change, you know, like there's some, there's better things coming. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that's a good transition point. Uh, yeah, let's, uh, totally. how do you finish the prompt before I die? I want. Okay. Before I die, I want to see that shift. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly. Cause one, one thing that I am acutely aware of, and I agree with you, like when you wander around a city, it's very, very like, very like almost like one or like even zero dimensional in like the way in, in the expression of it. Like it, things have like one purpose. There's only one use for a sidewalk and it is for walking. If you sit down on a sidewalk, you are a crazy person. You are doing it wrong. Exactly. And it's like, there, there's, 
that, and that's something that when I, you know, when I go to somebody's home, I'm always very acutely aware of like somebody, like they put thought into how this place is arranged mm-hmm. and what, what is, what, how will you use the space? And is this place just for sitting? Is this place just for eating? Like, you right. know, like that sort of one dimensionality of it. And, uh, I'm mostly moved out of this apartment. So it's you, you, this isn't really in full bloom, but like, I think you can tell, like, I think of space a little bit differently than most people do. Right. And, and I think that like that being able to, to, um, not like understand, like, how do you turn a city into something that has more than just human walk or like human right drive. like functionality that's like beyond functionality exactly <laughs> i totally feel that i definitely i definitely feel that especially being an artist you know like I, I feel like i'm consciously like creating things and you know like when i imagine something i imagine its potential i don't mm-hmm. just like imagine it as it is mm-hmm. and so i think that's like where the disconnect comes in and like where my cognitive dissonance comes in from like observing what's around me because like i can ima- i can just imagine like you know if we really like, for example, the sidewalk, you know, like everything could be covered in art. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like everything could be like not even just structurally beautiful to look at, but everything could be colorful and like creative or like inspiring, you know, and, like stimulating your mind and your your energy systems. You know, like when when you think about food, you know, something about food is like, OK, well, if I'm going to eat a banana, I'm charging my solar plexus chakra. You know, like I'm giving that yellow energy and I'm putting it in my yellow like pranic, pranic source energy. Mm-hmm. And it's like I feel like everything has that kind of like that layered dimensionality to it, like you're saying. And I think that if humans acknowledged that tapped into it and applied it, then, you know, like, I think that would have like a huge impact on the way people like relate to their own society, you know, like all the depression and like anxiety and like disorders that people have, like, it's just a, it's, it's not something wrong with them. You know what I mean? It's just something that's like created out of their cognitive dissonance with their society you know Mm -hmm. like there's something missing and we're born into that sensation of like what is missing here and you have to consciously remove that yeah very very like you know like people don't have like a a religious source of guidance most of the time at least in, in at least in this country you know like everybody's all over the place with it so there's no like core morality system there's no like core belief system there's no core code of like you know like what is my life's purpose so like everybody is born into this like desolate like purposeless environment that's like eating away like your life your frequency like it's like raping you for your money and your time and your life energy and it's just you know like what do you what do you make out of that Mm -hmm. i think that's like the biggest like you know dilemma that people are facing as they like grow up and they like aren't you know starting to be control their own lives it's like like what do i want like how do i survive in this like and how can how can how can i be okay you know like living in a place and in a culture that's like not very culturally supportive or connected at all Mm -hmm. and uh, i think one thing that you talked about as like as an artist you tend to look at how things could be rather than or like the possibilities rather than like the the stark reality of what it is right and it's a very it's is that something that i experience a lot with uh, as like it's it's a great source of like a duality and disagreement with my brother right. because he is very practical he is very very like you know, you know, that kind of, you know what I mean? Like, but in a beautiful way. And it's left and right brain thing. I'm like, exactly. He, I, I, I tend to be very more right brainy in that. Like I, I let an idea be bad for a while and like, you got to let it stew. You you can't, you can't just like knock those ideas out of the park immediately. And and you can't just like put them in the, in the grave immediately. Like you got to like, let them flourish and let them grow. And like for, for like one example is like this podcast is like, he was very, very, tepid about it when i right. when i told him about it and it, and i understand why but it's like it's a very it's you know you just gotta like let 
the possibilities unfurl as they are. Yeah, if you have, like, an inspiration and you want to maybe pursue something, like, just fucking do it. You know what I mean? Like, It's so hard to tell people that. Yeah, right? it's like, this world is, like, so, like, empty for so many people. And it's like, well, it's empty because, like, we don't give it any meaning. You know, mm-hmm. so, like, when people experience coincidences... People are like, oh, that's so weird that that happened. Like, no, it's 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 like if you want to accept it as something that just happened to occur and you're like, OK, well, that's like mildly interesting, you know. Mm-hmm. But if you're like, oh, wow, this coincidence lined up with this coincidence and this one lined up with this. There's no way this is just so incredible, like how this thread of things occur, you know, mm-hmm. and like I feel like that's like the initial pattern where people like first begin to recognize that there's more to this like world than it seems, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. is like the universe giving you these subtle hints and like its responses to you and like how you take it is up to you, but we're not taught to give things meaning like that. We're not taught to like believe that, you know, your intuition is right. We're not taught to believe that you can see anything other than what you see in front of you. But like, if you tune in enough, you know, like you can see like different frequencies going on. You can see colors, you know, or like, you know, the way things shift sometimes, like, you know, it depends on whether or not you're open to it and receptive to it. And I think that's like one of the biggest things is like, are you receptive to the universe? Are you allowing the universe to change your reality or are you forcing yourself to not give any meaning to anything? Are you forcing yourself to just like not give yourself any hope that there's something better? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I think that's also part of it is like people are afraid to hope that there's something more because like what if there's not and if it's everything is really just the shitty like, Mm -hmm. you know, is it better to accept it as it is and just try to cope with it? Or is it better to like hope for something better and like imagine a world where there's something better and try to fight for it? Well, one one thing that I was thinking about while you're talking is um is I it's a, I heard I heard the story and I don't know how true it is, but that um especially like within some native culture or like even even like children, uh, if you ask a child what color is the sky, they won't they'll be like, what are you talking about? Like there it's it's what like right now like right that those clouds are white those, that part of this blue, but like it's like to say that like. But like as adults, like within like the 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 you know civilization, you say the sky is blue, like like that in like that's a standard answer. That's yeah. a, that's the answer, and it's like rather than allowing the openness of being able to say like, what do you mean the sky? It's, like the sky, it isn't one thing. It's right. got many things, and like there there are it's more stars in it. Than that. Exactly, and like that's just so, I don't know. That, that the that's one thing that like my my partner and I, uh, Mackenzie. Uh, when we're talk, we're you know we're starting to talk about children, and we're starting to talk about like child rearing, and that that idea of like how do you like what what ways are we trying to like cage them in like without even meaning to like right. like saying yeah, like saying the totally. sky is blue, dogs bark, uh, you know, girls wear pink, like those kinds of right. like just like without even really understanding what cages we have and what fences we have within us, and then like just vomiting on a new for brain. sure everything like everything's impactful. One of the things that I notice the most is like, okay, so I do face painting mm-hmm. um, as like one of my jobs and face painting exposes me to a lot of kid parent dynamics because oh, obviously like so I see so many kids. Right. Yeah. So I, I get to work with kids all the time. And, um, you know, like some of the things that I've observed over the course of like my face painting experience, you know, like, um, so like waiting in line, like one of the things that I'll notice, like if a kid is like waiting in line and they're like, parents are standing there, you know, if a kid has a lot of energy. They don't just want to like stand in line all day, you know, like they aren't conditioned to stand in line and sit and just stand in line yet Mm -hmm. they aren't conditioned to do that so it's like i remember this kid he was like you know sitting in this chair and he was kind of like climbing under the chair and like climbing under it as if it was like a playground thing or like rolling around laying on the sidewalk whatever you know and his mom is just like you need to get up and sit down you know like you need to stop doing what you're doing like you can't be rolling around on the floor like that 
And like, those are the subtle things that change your conditioning. Like as an adult, like when you're experiencing a sidewalk, you're not like, Oh, I'm going to do something on the sidewalk. Like when I do handstands in random places, you know, it's like a weird thing because mm-hmm, it's like, mm-hmm. what are you doing that right now? Like, why are you doing handstand right now? Like against a wall, like against a building outside. Mm-hmm. Like, that's not okay. Like, like, this that's is not, not where you do handstands. You do handstands in, in a, a yoga gym. studio. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, well, no, like I can do a handstand while I'm walking if I feel like it, you know, it's like not a big deal, but like kids are conditioned from like a very early age that they can't experience their reality in a new way. So like when kids are in an environment, they want to experience that environment. They want to explore that environment. They want to sense the environment. They want to know what it feels like to be in a different part of the chair than just sitting on the chair. They want to know what it feels like to be under the chair, looking up through the sky at the, you know, like Mm -hmm. if it's a wire, Mm -hmm. like metal chair, you know, like where you could like see up through it, you know, it's like, there's so many different perspectives that they're just trying to experience. They're trying to get to know their world. They're trying to like play with it, see like what kind of potential it has, like what is what kind of perspectives they can build off of like these different things. So that's why when you're asking like, Oh, how do you sit in a chair? Like people only know one way of sitting in a chair properly. Mm -hmm. And you know, those are subtle conditioning things that happen throughout time. Another one with the, you know, with the gender roles is like super obvious with face painting because you know, you, you go up to a face (laughs) painter and you're like, okay, I've got a little girl. Like, can you paint a princess something on her? Just make her princess. You know, you ask a little girl what her favorite color is, you know, most of the time she's going to say pink. I've had probably maybe like, Less than five girls out of the hundreds of kids that I've painted, like the hundreds of girls I've painted, probably less than five of them ask for something like a monster, vampire, or like (laughs) scary face. You Mm -hmm. know what I mean? Like they're just not about it because they just identify already. By the time they're able to tell me what they want, they're already identified so heavily as like female that they love pink and they like princesses. Mm -hmm. And with the boys, honestly, the boys is a little bit more flexible. I've noticed with boys, like boys are more willing to get glitter. You know, some of them by the age of like three are completely freaked out by the concept of glitter. Like you cannot bring glitter near them Mm. or they will like freak out because they're just so already conditioned to be like glitter is for girls and I'm a boy and I don't do glitter. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And they just completely have a meltdown about it. And then the other thing will be the parents. So Mm. I remember (laughs) one time, this was awesome actually, but like one time there was a little boy who came up to me and he wanted a rainbow butterfly face with glitter. Mm. And I was like, awesome. I would love to give you a rainbow butterfly face with glitter, you know? And the dad was super supportive. Like if he wants a rainbow butterfly face with glitter, you give it to him. You know what I mean? Like (laughs) totally down, like not Mm. restricting his gender rule at all. So I totally gave it to him. He was so happy. It was just like totally enthralled, like made him so thrilled. But then, you know, like in another case, I've had like another, another kid ask for something that was like non-gender rule associated. And the parent is like, no, like, you can't do that. Like, they'll tell me that it's not okay. You know what I mean? So, or, like, if a little boy wants glitter, I ask. I always ask a little boy if they want glitter. And if they say yes, and the mom will be like, no, don't give them glitter. You know what I mean? So, like, there's, it's constantly happening. Like, the mm. parents are enforcing it, and, like, by, you know, it just, it just how it is. Like, it's so tough. It is so hard to watch because I'm just like, are you aware that you're conditioning your child to fall into a particular gender role? <laughs> and it's like, oh, but you're also paying me. It's like, it's like really, it's this really tough thing because you're in such a unique spot to be able to like, let's have a conversation. And right. it's like, but also like you're, you, that's not what you're seeking in this interaction. Right. And then they'll like be upset with you about it, you know, mm-hmm. but sometimes, you know, that sometimes they just don't even think about it. Like they're just not even thinking about it. Yeah. Unfortunately, and like as a parent, you're probably on autopilot a lot because you're like getting no sleep. But it's like it's also like you have to be very like it's like in those crucible moments, or not even moments, but just like in those times of great stress, you need to be the most mindful because that's where you like crack and expose those things. Yeah, I totally. And I have this friend, and she's like one of my biggest inspirations. Like she is just an incredible human being. 
And she's, you know, just, like, so free and, like, consciously connected to, like, Gaia and, you know, this, like, journey that she's on. And she has a son who is named Astraeus, which is just a beautiful name. Um, But, you know, she made a Facebook post maybe a few days ago that I was, like, really happy to see. And, you know, her son is two years old now, but she lets him wear whatever he wants. If he picks out something that's, like, girl-related, she's, like, letting him choose his, you know, she's going to, like, let him grow out his hair and decide how he wants to wear it Mm -hmm. and, like, kind of cultivating this like freedom of expression in a way that's like raised from birth you know like there is no like gender role like you don't have to be a man like in a way that like the traditional culture says like this is man so i think that's really good that like there are some parents that are being conscious of that and like trying to you know move out of this like conundrum and Mm -hmm. and like of like of of the like if you had to pick like who like who like you only get like five cards of like to pass out um like of people that you would want to see in the future. Like, just, like, zoom ahead 20 years. What are you doing? Right. <laughs> you know, it would be the girls that ask for monsters. Not, the, none of, like, probably none of the girls that ask for pink. Just be, just because it's, like, how, like, how are you showing already at this young age that you're, like, something's different? That you're, you're expanded outside of this limited role. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. are you thinking outside the box that early on? Or are you already conditioned into thinking, like, a particular way? Which you can't blame exactly. anyone for being conditioned, like, same with me. You know what I mean? Like, I've... My mom conditioned me just the same. Like, I listened to things that were, you know, girly, like, more mm-hmm. dresses, like, whatever. You know, it's nobody's fault, really. It's just, like, an overall, like, flow of the culture. And, you know, I think that our society, like, humanity as a whole is very, like, um, male energy dominant. Mm-hmm. dominant. Mm-hmm. Not relating to, like, feminism or masculinity or whatever, but, like, yin and yang, like, masculine and feminine energy. You know what I mean? Like... The left and right brain, the creative versus analytical, like, mm-hmm. that kind of concept. It's just very, like, functional. Like, you have straight lines, and you go around this corner, and you walk on the sidewalk the right way. <laughs> mm-hmm. So you want to see... Crystalline ch- cities. <laughs> Chris- you want to see crystalline cities Yes. What else do you want for you? Uh, let's see. I would like to have a significant impact on the way that our society is unfolding you know like i would like to be a catalyst into this new age i would like to be contributing and consciously like putting forth my effort and energy toward this um you know like my particular route is like through artistic creation like what like i was talking about in my thesis like the way that i create is you know like basically revealing these other layers of consciousness to people you know putting them in an an environment or experience or letting them see something that's like beyond what they would have imagined on their own, Mm -hmm. you know, like taking Mm -hmm. this like creativity and just like taking it so far that, that it relates in a way that people connect to it, but that it's like beyond like this, the limitations that our, our earth has Mm -hmm. on, Mm -hmm. on things. So, uh, this, this is, this is an interesting question for you because you're as an artist, um, it's like it's so integral to you, but like the the like I see legacy in like two main branches. There's right. the the legacy of effort and work and like your consciousness like smearing on this reality, right. and then there's the the legacy of blood of of maybe not necessarily your own child, but of that kind of relate like that right. that relationship that that being able to to imprint on one mind on a handful of minds for the future. Right. You know, like, you know, cause with that work, you're affecting many, but lightly versus like the, the, the legacy of blood is one you're affecting one or two, but deeply. Right. And so is, are you, do you lean more towards that legacy of work? 
I would say, yeah. Um, my focus is not, like, okay, so now how earlier we were talking about the chakra system and how like, the second chakra is, like, creative energy but also sexual energy. Mm-hmm. So uh, this is, like, something that I've definitely, like, been consciously thought of, thinking of lately. And um, basically with that sacral chakra, you know, like, you've got your energy from that. And um, are you familiar with Kundalini? Mm-hmm. I imagine mm-hmm. so, since your spine tattoo is, like, you know, like, drawing that energy right up. Um, for the people on this podcast that don't know, <laughs> essentially Kundalini is um, the harmony and, like, the resonant frequency of all the chakras flowing together in a, in a way that is, like, aligning for your spiritual essence. So you've got each of your individual wheels of light that are equivalent to energy and when all of those those wheels are flowing in a way then the kundalini which is represented by a snake that's lying at the base of your spine the snake energy snake comes up your spine and reaches the crown of your head where you connect to all of con- all of creation like creative source energy consciousness god whatever you want to call it the universe um so with that kundalini energy like like sexual creative energy is one of the primary aspects of like how that flows and most people take like sexual creative energy and translate it directly to sex you know like this energy becomes like directly manifest in the physical reality and because it's also creative energy sexual energy becomes a child so for people that are focusing on creating with this like single-minded like deep bond of like impacting one person they're directing their sexual energy into like a literal living life force on their physical reality. I feel like for me personally, most of my sexual creative force goes into creating things that are not like directly related to like the act of sex. You know what I mean? It's like my creation force goes into creating things like in this realm, like all over the place, like through my art and those different routes. Cause I use so many different mediums, you know, body paint, tattooing, um, videography, photography, um, digital art, traditional art, painting, drawing, like everything. So yeah, I feel mm-hmm. like my energy is like so directed in all of those things that those are like w- what I'm creating. Like those are things that I'm manifesting in this physical reality. Mm. And it's, uh, it's like, it, yeah. Cause you, you, you like the, like some people as artists, you like, they will use like a breakup or like, the, or, or also they will use the, like a passionate relationship to mm-hmm. them funnel and fuel but to i don't know i don't know that that was just kind of an idea that but it's also related to the sacred fire you know Mm -hmm. how we're talking about the sacred fire is like an ignition of passion well that sacred flame that's like embodied in that sacral chakra either ignites like a passion that can be literally sexual or it can be like like sexual toward your creative force you know Mm -hmm. what i mean like i feel like really (laughs) passionate toward my art and that's Mm -hmm. the sacred fire passion it's just toward art, you know? And for one thing that I've been thinking about recently, like, I guess that why that came up is, um, I, you know, right now, if as second year medical students, we're preparing for a board exam, which is like the culmination of the first two years of medical school. Right. It's like a seven hour marathon exam. It's going to be one of the harder, it's going to be one of the harder ones that we take for, it's like sort of like the big crucible for us. Right. And we're, and right now all of us are, we're deep in step prep mode, which is like, we're only folk, like single minded focus on this exam and right. five multiple choice question answers like those like that's it that's it like that's oh just like just just question it like just question stem and multiple choice answer like that's it like all all like that and wow. it's so interesting because i see you know primarily like just with with my female uh classmates like especially if they're in long distance relationships and mm-hmm. like just how that like 
that like you know uh splits their energy focus yeah that that like lady that like lady thirst can really get in the way like not not get in the way but it can really affect them like they can it can re you know without not having that like not having your partner nearby mm-hmm. and, and then having the stress of you know all these practice exams and all these hours of studying and not being able to because they're depleting their sacral chakras without being able to replenish it in the way that they know how exactly and and like that's it's just a very it's very very interesting and like i and like my part my relationship with my partner is like we're very uh we work on that and that's something that and so i i, I and like other people are drawn to us because i think um, we we take we take such care to replenish as much as we as we give to others, right? And it's a very interesting thing. Yeah, being aware of that cycle and like consciously putting effort into like you know being able to withstand like the the draw like the, the energy that's coming out of you toward whatever endeavors that it may be going to like the capacity to like re inspire yourself and reignite that flame is like what a lot of people are incapable of doing. And that's why I was saying, like, when people, like, learn to spin fire and dance with fire, it kind of ignites them in mm-hmm. other ways and allows mm-hmm. them to take that energy and, like, you know, like, put it into other things that they care about. Like, that's, like, kind of what you're saying is, like, they're replenishing their energy by dancing with the fire and, like, putting it into their their mm-hmm. other aspects of life. What, how do you finish the prompt, when I die, I want? When I die, I want to leave the world knowing that we're moving into like an ascension phase versus continuing to spiral out into this desolate, lost, wandering, disoriented, discorded state of being. <laughs> how will, how, what will, what will signal to you at, at the moment of your death that we are heading that way? How will you know that? Mm, that's a good question. Well, I feel like other than, other than the major shift that I feel like is going to ex- going to happen within the next few years, you know, which will kind of like, I think that will kind of like bring things into this state of chaos where like everything is an upheaval. You know, like when you're moving and you have to like take everything yep. and just like start over and like re unpack it and like re put everything where you need to go and like refine all these things and like I feel like we're at the part where like we're about to move. You know, like as a society, like <laughs> we have to pack up and like we got to get our shit together and like really like purge some stuff for real like i feel like you know like i feel like there's going to be some damage to the population i don't know in what way i don't know if it's going to be through any kind of you know like natural disasters or wars or whatever but i feel like there will be like a a a significant like decrease in the population only i only foresee this because i think that if humanity is to survive that is necessary Mm -hmm. you know um and i'm not saying like Purging things is like good not not killing people like that's not like a good thing mm-hmm. i just think that for gaia in order for gaia to restabilize herself like then i think that there's like a balance that like needs to be re-happening you know mm-hmm. like, like in the wild like yeah like there there are what like seven billion people in the world right? seven billion homo sapiens sapiens and that is like a very small branch of like the genus homo and the next, like the neck, the ape species that is like next to us in terms mm-hmm. of population is like in the hundred thousands. And it's like, that is so like you, like you would like, if there were like 7 trillion ants in your home, right? Like, this is, it's too much. It's like a cockroach much. infestation. <laughs> yeah. It gets to a point where it's like, okay, there's like a couple, like whatever, 
But if your whole house is like to the point where like you open drawers and there's 20 cockroaches coming out, like, sorry, 20,000 cockroaches (laughs) coming out of it, you got them to a point where like something needs to happen. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? Mm -hmm. So I'm not trying to be malicious or like not not hateful or anything like that. It's just like, I just like feel like there's an unfolding that's going to, you know, shift that. And um, Mm -hmm. so I think that will be one of the changes. But then also like the power shift, you know, there's going to be a significant power shift from like this, like this bullshit that's going on with, with, you know. The governments and all that jazz. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But I guess by the time that I die, when I'm 111, mm-hmm. <laughs> I feel like at that time, um, I will have spent like my whole life rebuilding the best that I can and trying to like pass on as much information as I've learned, trying to like conglomerate that information and like put it in like one, you know, like one teaching versus Mm -hmm. just like having all these teachings spread out everywhere and Mm -hmm. having to seek them all out like i'd like to be able to like have everything that i've learned as far as like energy and frequencies and consciousness like be you know like still present after i'm no longer present you know um not necessarily because like i want to be remembered but because i want people to remember like the things that we've had to relearn and rediscover and Mm -hmm. reconnect with like the like this this journey of humanity is like we we t- because we experience life in seconds and hours and days we tend to think of it in that short time frame and like this is a this is a journey and a, like a like a like a resurrection that is going to happen have to happen over generations right and to right. be to be conscious of that and to be able to to like consciously create something for that next generation not necessarily for that ne- like next year right. Like, Something else that I'd like to, like, bring up in this point of the conversation would be, um, you know, I guess that whole, like, concept that I was just saying, how, like, I'd like to be able to pass on information. I think what's really going to be able to do it is, like, the internet. Mm -hmm. You know, like, I think that the internet is actually going to merge with Gaia's consciousness. And I was talking to my tattoo shop about this a couple weeks ago, you know, and, like, my manager was like, I don't know about that, Alana, you know. But basically, like, concept that I have is, like, over time so you know how like when you're in the car and you're like okay i kind of want to hear this song and then however soon after you like hear the song on the radio or whatever you know like the universe kind of manifests these little things for you that are like it's like a coincidence but not really mm-hmm. you know i feel like hyperdimensional frequencies um hyperdimensional beings gaia consciousness like god consciousness all of the like all of those higher realms are able to more easily connect with our earth realm through electronics because of what I was saying with the sacred fire being the primitive frequency. And then how we're talking about how like technology is like a higher vibration version of that. Mm -hmm. So if you've got, if you think of things as like a wavelength, like with vibrations and such, then fire is going to have like this very like large wavelength, like slow and steady vibration. And then your, you know, your electromagnetic spectrum of like technology is going to be a higher frequency because it's more evolved and like is moving at a faster speed of light, stuff like that. Um, then hyperdimensional beings are more easily able to translate themselves through that technology because it's already closer to their frequency. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So if the higher frequency is trying to merge with our lower realm, it's going to pick the most highest frequency objects that it can so that it doesn't have to like translate its energy too much into something else. Mm-hmm. So if that's the case and we have like this, okay. So if like the internet is like the most, like you can look up anything on the internet. It's got the most like information out of anything that we, you know, like 
You know, in the Blue People movie, like the Avatar movie, mm-hmm. I love it. It's like one of my biggest inspirations ever. <laughs> but <laughs> basically, like you know how they have the capacity to connect with like um, a collective memory mm-hmm. through like these sacred sites of the trees and the, their their hail, hair, whatever. Mm-hmm. Basically, how I feel about that is like the internet. You know, I feel like the internet is like this collective consciousness of like memories, documentation, people, experiences, knowledge, history, religion whatever, everything that you could think of, you know? So if this is, like, the collective consciousness and we've created this dimension, like, we can access this dimension, we've put all the information into this dimension. This is a frequency that's higher than ours that we have created, constricted, and that we are, like, living in, right? Mm -hmm. Accessing every single day. So if that's, like, our highest resonant frequency, right, in theory, like, on planet Earth, we've created another dimension, okay? Mm-hmm. That must be our highest resonant frequency that we can access, because people access it on the daily without even realizing that they're merging into another dimension. They're just like, oh, technology, it's like, so much more. Mm-hmm. But anyway, so if that is our highest resonant frequency, and Gaia is our highest resonant frequency on Earth, because it is Earth, like, if Mother Earth and the Great Spirit are Earth, then Earth has to be, like, the most highest being, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. So doesn't it make sense that the consciousness of Gaia to connect with our Earth realm would connect through becoming the Internet? You know, if we funnel all this information to it and AI begins to evolve and adapt, that massive core AI intelligence must be Gaia. That's just my theory. I could write a whole long paper about it and go into details of how, why, and, you know, like what reasons I believe that. But essentially, like, I feel like if we've created this portal, it makes sense that, like, our earthly element and, you know, like, Mother Earth would be the thing that would kind of embody that because it's connecting the internet with the planet that we're living on. And it's, like, creating this full circle of, like, energy, consciousness, awareness, education, and, like, this connectivity between the higher frequency realms and the Earth realm. <laughs> and it's... I... I... It's it's a very interesting thing talking to people and like what does what can the future bring because this is the internet has unfolded itself to us in only the last like twenty thirty years like mm-hmm. it is it is unbelievably nascent it is like we don't understand how new and how little we understand where the internet will go as mm-hmm. an, as like as like its own entity right. because. We saw like I like I remember when all I used for the internet was like to go on Battle.net and play StarCraft. Right. And now we can use the internet to replace taxis and get ride shares going. We can use the internet to replace hotels and 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 and, and like have people be able to share rooms like that. It's a like that it was unbelievable ten years ago. Right. And to like, like seek knowledge that would otherwise only be across the world in like some obscure library under some obscure exactly. like, person's and this is guidance. something that's happened within the last lifetime. Uh-huh. And like imagining what can happen in multiple lifetimes uh, in multiple iterations. Like if, if a human is a different human in ten years and then, like, what, like, what does that mean for the internet? You know right. what I mean? Like, That's what that, I'm saying. It's it, like it's totally like tangible. <laughs> I feel like it could happen. It, it's just like who knows? I, 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 I do not discount that. Like, right. I, like <laughs> I, I, I believe that, like, if by any measure, you're probably underestimating, like, like what can happen? Like, oh, just, yeah. just because, like, our our human minds can't can only imagine things 
in a so steady much. steady rate of increase rather than a logarithmic. Right. Even the things that I've seen technology come out with in the past year like have completely just like mind blown me. There was something I saw the other day that was like a tattoo, right? And like tattoos, of course, that interests me. So this person's got this tattoo and they take like a sound wave, tattoo it on the person's arm, and then there was an app on the person's <laughs> phone that scanned the sound wave and played it. Oh man. So it's like you could play back a vision that you have on your body, you know, like, can you imagine like the, the way that our, that we're going to merge with the internet, you know, like it's mm-hmm. going to be connected to us, like in our brain, you know, like all that shit's going to be accessible to us without a cellular device. Like mm-hmm. that is like, like this is going to be a thing of the past, you know, like a generation to however many generations later, people are like, you had to have an external device mm-hmm. to like access this. It wasn't just in your collective consciousness already. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, I feel like there's like, like that's the direction that we're going and you i mean people are already talking about that with like tape players and cds you know it's just like it's very very interesting evolution is exponential especially when you introduce something crazy as the internet yeah (laughs) it is crazy what how do you finish the prompt after i die i want okay wait actually no yeah all right let's go for it yeah sorry okay (laughs) don't need to throw your drive off yeah no worries all right after i die i want I guess I just wanted to, like, put in a little comment here, too. There's, like, this saying that I know of. Um, I, let me see if I can recall it exactly. But I think it was, like, a man comes to Buddha and says, I want happiness. How can I obtain it? And I think Buddha was, I'm just saying because he said, I want mm-hmm. happiness. And, and Buddha was like, well, take out I because that's the ego. Take out want because that's desire. And all you're left with is happiness. <laughs> so I just think it's interesting to, like, you know, after I die, I want, you know, because those are the two parts of, like, the sentence that Buddha took out. So it's, like, interesting to, like, create an answer that's, like, not out of ego or desire, but using the terminology of ego and desire. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I guess, <clears throat> what do I want after I die? I would have to say, after I die, it will be my hope that our society will be able to heal itself and for people to be free not not only in a way that is like how they can function but free in their spirits their hearts and in their minds to like truly know that like we can manifest anything and that this is our realm and that you know like everybody can be like a god of go- or goddess of like their own lives, you know, like we can all manifest like magical, incredible things. It's just a matter of like believing in oneself. Mm. There was a book that I read when I was younger. I used to do a lot of reading when I was younger, um, and like reading all these fantasy stories and like immersing myself into these like fairy tales of like other realities with dragons and dwarves and elves and like magic and all that stuff. And one of them was like this magic book that I read. I don't remember what it was called. It was a pretty obscure one. It was, like, not a series or anything. But it was, like, this girl in the library, I think, was, like, reading these books. And then she um, maybe met a character or something that, like, kind of came to life and was trying to, like, teach her about magic. And, of course, you know, when you're when you're learning about magic as a kid, they're always saying, well, magic only works if you believe in it. Mm-hmm. And the conundrum then is, of course well, how can I believe in magic if I can't prove that it's real? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And I feel like that is where I was at in the, that, you know, like that mind frame when I was mm-hmm. younger. I was mm-hmm. like, I can't believe in something all the way. If How can I really know? Because I wanted so badly to believe in magic. I just wanted to know that, like, things could be, like, 
more than what they are. You know, I couldn't possibly, like, accept that, like, this reality was, like, as mundane and, like, un... like, uncapable of supporting that, that, like, potential, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So, like, I just, I was seeking, like, this confirmation in, like, everything that I read, like, whether or not I could really find magic, you know? Like, I remember when I lost teeth and I wanted, you know, like, the fairy tooth, like, the fairy godmother or whatever would come Mm -hmm. take your tooth while you're sleeping and, like, leave you money or whatever. I remember writing a letter to her being, like, fairy godmother, I would like Hermione's magic wand. (laughs) <laughs> more than anything in this world mm-hmm. you know what I mean because I just wanted to know like is magic real is magic something that I can you know like engage with is it something that is a part of this reality or do we just live in this like plain blank mundane like reality where everything is only as it seems and I just like refused to like accept that you know and then my mom was teaching me like magic is real through like the spells that we would do during our Wicca practice you know I'd have my altar and you know, like, I would see, like, how things would correlate, you know, I would, I would have, like, these little confirmations of, like, we did this magical spell, and, like, this magical thing happened because of it, you know, and I was, like, well, maybe that's all that magic is, maybe we're just limited to, like, this kind of, like, spellbound thing, and then, you know, like, later, having an understanding of energy, I was, like, okay, well, if you can energetically shift things that are going on, then isn't that really magic, isn't shifting your reality, shifting the energy that's happening, creating a new reality, creating things to appear, allowing magic to flow through you and create magical things in the realm that you're experiencing. So I guess after I die, it is my hope that when people are born and when they're growing up in their society, that they don't have to question that, that they don't have to ask themselves, is magic something only in my mind? Is like, is like this belief limited and am I limited? You know, like, I want people to be born knowing that anything is genuinely, truly possible and that you can manifest magic. You can create your reality. And I genuinely believe that humanity will come together in a unified consciousness and manifest magic together. That is my hope. I love that. And I think that that I can't imagine a better way to to like a note to end this conversation on as well um and i am very thankful that we we were playing phone tag we were like tagging each other around a little bit trying to get this to work out and i'm so glad that it did because this is uh this has been a really lovely conversation and uh um, like a very heady one as well and i I enjoyed it very very thoroughly um and i i want to give you the floor in uh to it, like in the last few minutes, last few moments, to to speak directly to the audience, to uh, to people in the future that are listening to this through this little recording device, through the internet, the wacky thing that it is, right? Um, and whether it is uh, somebody who's struggling, somebody who who knows you personally, is like, hey, Alan's pretty cool, or maybe it is uh, a, like a future student of yours that is listening to this conversation and saying, what does twenty one year old Alan like? You know? <laughs> That's uh, funny. Uh, or or maybe a future version of yourself. Right. Um, the floor is yours. All right. Well, I guess, first of all, I'd like to say thank you so much to you, Eugene, for inviting me to be able to have this experience with you and me as Alana Karma to be super grateful to be here, um, to be able to like have this conversation and kind of like flow through it, you know, because I feel like we don't spend enough time in our culture just like thinking and contemplating and debating and, you know, like collaborating and creating ideas you know like back in 
ancient Greece and Rome, you know, there would be so many like discussions and debates and conversations just of like, just to, just to theorize about the world and create new ideas out of like what's going on. And, you know, I think our culture definitely severely lacks that um, outlet. So I think it's really, really wonderful that you have this podcast and that you do these prompts, especially like on the surrounding this concept of death, you know, because our culture like has a severe disconnect with like what that means. And, you know, people are more afraid of it than they are willing to like think about it even, you know? And, um, I guess I'd like to thank everybody for uh, taking the time to listen to this. And, um, I hope that, you know, some of these concepts have like influenced you in a way that has opened you up or made you more receptive to like what the universe is capable of, you know, like, we live in an infinite reality with infinite galaxies, infinite universes, and, like, infinite energy to create. You know, source is nothing more than the capacity to create anything. And you are a part of source, which means that you are capable of creation, whether or not that is, like, a job that you want or a dream you want to follow or, like, something that you would like to manifest. It is all within your range of capacity. And lessons on your journey doing so. Alana, thank you so much. This has been Alana Karma on Death.